Welcome everybody to Phone Booth Fighting Disneyland Edition. Back in the bunker after a uh, an amazing trip to the happiest place on earth. I am Richard Hunter and I am Frank Mir. Together we do this podcast twice weekly, absolutely free of charge. You can get it in iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or wherever podcasts are found. Uh, do us a favor, look us up on iTunes. Phone Booth Fighting MMA, click on those five stars. That gives us the best possible rating. And if you have a moment, write us a favorable line or two. Frank and I like to read those on the air, and it really does help the uh, podcast grow. Uh, Speaking of helping us grow, this podcast is brought to you by Earth's Brew, Frank. Earth's Brew, the plant-based taste of Nirvana. A great-tasting, health-conscious functional tea that provides its effects within minutes using a synergistic mix of evidence-backed plant and herbal ingredients to promote a sense of high-functioning and active calm. It relieves stress, it boosts metabolism, and focuses the mind to enhance work, school, or play. And at 15 calories, no artificial... Uh, sweeteners or coloring and compatible with any vegan, low-carb, keto, or any other pretty much popular diet you're going to try to come across nowadays. That's me. Um, yeah, you're not going to have to come uh, look at it as something you're going to have to eliminate from your diet. This is something you'll be able to keep with you as a uh, as a tool to help you, as you said, relax, calm down, and unwind from a long day. And if you go to the site and put in promo code PHONEBOOTH, you get 10% off. So a little bit of a, you know incentive to give it a shot. Earthsbrew.com for that discount. Count and uh, like Frank said, uh, it's uh, something that I have worked into my daily regimen. Comes in a small little powder pack. You mix it up in some water. Tastes good and uh, it's definitely a nice relaxing feeling. All plant based, all natural. Earth's Brew. Go to earthsbrew.com. Also, Frank, we need to welcome on a new sponsor, Low T Nation. You know, we had uh, the guys from Low T Nation in here uh, a couple of episodes ago. A week before last week. Yep. And I uh, had them here in the bunker. A couple of guys from uh, out in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, great guys. And I tell you what, we got amazing feedback on that uh, podcast. And, and in all honesty, they were not sponsors when we had them on the show. Uh, we had him on the show because uh, Frank had, had met him when you were out there doing uh, seminars, right? I did. Yeah, and, uh, some of the seminars, uh, got some chiropractic work done, and then I started talking about what they did, and uh, and then uh, you know I found uh, you know Doctor Weeks and Brandon to be just a huge source of information, and that's actually was my uh, thought process of bringing them on the show was that I feel like there's still a lot of. Uh, misunderstanding a lot of concepts of what trt is and what the tues are and uh you know i figured that that would bring them on and would uh, help uh, answer a lot of questions and pull back the veil well apparently your instincts were correct because not only did we get a lot of response from having them on the show but i was talking to brandon from low t nation he said they got a ton of calls on their own from our listeners who were interested so lowtnation.com is the website uh, all the the 
questions, information is right there. If you didn't hear the episode from a couple episodes ago, just go back and uh, give it a listen. There's lots of helpful information. You get to know the guys, and then you give them a call from there and uh, explain to them your your personal situation, and uh, they'll see what they can do for you. Jason, you know, Dr. Weeks is somebody Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, he's also, uh, you know, USDA certified as far as the uh, USADA uh, as a source of information. So he's not just somebody who's talking out of his butt about what he thinks or some just, you know, uh, self-appointed guru just, you know, on the internet. He's somebody that actually is, uh, you know, has a functional understanding and certified when we talk about the drug tests and, and what is going on and, and really advantages and disadvantages of what's occurring. I really didn't know uh, a lot about uh, low testosterone and, uh, you know, I do ask a lot of questions, and yeah. I had a lot of questions for the guys, and they that's had a lot of answers. That's why it's very interesting having you look at it, because, yeah. you know, that's something that now I've pointed my father in that direction. It's something that, you know, I think that every male should look to, because, uh, you know, I think initially people think testosterone, like, oh, you know, you're just getting juiced up, and you see that guy with the shaved forearms and tan and, you know, at the gym, that, you know, basically that's his whole identity. And it's like, well, you know, that, that is one aspect like anything, but uh, basically it's just, you know, having a healthy functional form of life and you know the more actually even brandon and you know and jason had started saying things that way but brandon was talking about just the cognitive effects of what it does to your mindset and and just uh you know your your well-being and your sense of mood and just you know being just uh, you know a good husband a good father just all those things that factor in besides just trying to you know uh, you know be muscular you know and i think that's actually a very small aspect of it lotnation.com Tell them uh, Frank and Richard sent you and thank them for supporting phone booth fighting. One more little item of business, Frank, before we start breaking down UFC 214 and talking about our uh, pretty incredible trip to Disneyland. We brought you back some good stories from that. Uh, Tell them about that Amazon banner because uh, if you go to phoneboothfighting.com, there is a banner says Amazon. You click through it. Frank's going to tell you why it's important, and then I'm going to give you a, a little quick testimonial. So uh, tell them how they can support the show by doing that. Well, I think it's one of the most effortless ways you can help support the show. And as you can see, uh, you know, uh, Richard and I are not pulling money from it. Uh, this is not how we make a living, but we want to be able to invest in the show and make it of higher quality guys like Travis, we see everything around us that we're trying to improve with the camera and quality of the YouTube content. So if you go on the Amazon banner on our website and click it and go through that portal to do all of your Amazon or online shopping and your, get your needs fulfilled, basically a small percentage goes back to us here at the show that we can use to constantly improve the product that you guys seem to be so uh, happy about. I solved the mystery of who bought the Pittsburgh Steelers Garden Gnome. Through our Amazon banner. Remember I was talking about that a couple of weeks ago? I could tell from looking at our Amazon account that someone had purchased a Pittsburgh Steelers garden gnome and they had clicked through the banner, the Amazon banner at phoneboothfighting.com to do it. We need to give a shout out and a special thanks to Bill from Stockton. Okay. Bill was the guy. Bill emailed us and said that uh, he listens to our show on his commutes to and from Steelers work. Steelers fan in Stockton. Huh? Well, he's a Raiders fan. But he said, I guess he was buying a present for a friend of his. That's oh, the Steelers. Okay. It was a birthday present for his friend. But he's, uh, he said that, uh, first of all, it was, it was a great email because he said that, uh, 
you know, the improvements to the show and the, the, uh, the quality of it and the equipment we've been purchasing and all that have not gone unnoticed. So he, he recognizes that, uh, by doing something like that, he's helping to contribute to grow the show. But he said, uh, he said it made him happy. He said he, he, he heard it basically himself mentioned cause he knew he was that guy brought a smile to his face. So, cool. so now we have outed him. We have identified him. Thank you, Bill from Stockton for buying your, uh, your Pittsburgh Steelers garden home and thinking of phone booth fighting when you did it. All right. So, uh, Frank and I, uh, spent a couple of days together in, uh, Disneyland. I brought my girlfriend, he brought everybody else. And, uh, we're going to tell you all about our big trip to, to Disneyland. We had some fun stories coming out of that. UFC 214 though, is, uh, going down this Saturday night, Frank in Anaheim, California, I'm going to be out there just uh, just for the day, just for the fights. And this fight card is it's the best fight card so far of the year, uh, which is a little upside down in terms of what's historically been the case for UFC because the July card, the well, this is a July card, but the, the Las Vegas 4th of July card is always that one, and the, the Las Vegas New Year's Eve card is always supposed to be the biggest one. Now, the 4th of July card here in Vegas was supposed to have Cowboy Cerrone and Robbie Lawler on it. That got moved to Saturday's card, so that's part of uh, the reason. But if you just look well, I mean, top- Overall, though, when we talked about that card to begin with, yeah, that was the most exciting fight on that card. Yes, it was. And even though Cowboy Cerrone still and Robbie Lawler is still a super exciting fight, yeah. I don't think they are... Uh, head and shoulders, the most exciting fight right now. Like now they're in the mix. Now that's an argument saying, well, well shit, this one. Yep. Well, yeah. What about that one? Whereas, you know, last time, you know, when it was going to be the, uh, you know, uh, the, the early July card, the, you know, the international fight week card, they were without a doubt the one fight that I cared about on the whole card. Yeah. This, this card, uh, we're going to run it down Saturday night. Not only the best card of the year, but I mean, if I could find a couple of cards over the last few years that have looked this good on paper, uh, I would impress myself by doing that. Uh, you've got, first of all, you got three title fights on the card. I don't remember ever seeing, a, I know I've never attended a UFC fight that had three title fights on the card. My guess is we'd have to go back to the days of when there was a pay-per-view once every two or three months to get one of those. Off the top Even of your then, head? No. I, I, I mean, there were fewer titles well, then, of course. No women's division. Was it UFC still. 200? Did, 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 they, were they, did they initially try to have? I, I know it didn't play out that way, but I think it was originally written to have three titles. Because you had the uh, Cormier fight. Yep. And Jones. Yep. Uh, That's the one that got scratched. You had Amanda Nunez and Misha Tate. That, that was, happened. That happened. And then... I, I thought there was a third one on there that was Not supposed that to... I can recall. I can't remember another title fight being DJ associated wasn't on with them? that. Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. But you're getting three title fights wow. this time around. Let's start with first of all, Frank just mentioned it. The uh the the belated Daniel Cormier John Jones rematch is official. If you remember back to UFC two hundred, we were just talking about John Jones a couple days uh before the fight tested positive for a banned substance that caused him to be suspended for a year. That suspension uh, was is basically up just in time for this fight to take place Saturday night. Um, I mean, let's just, we've, we've actually talked about 
kind of what our thoughts are uh, on on the rematch. But let's just re- uh, in in over the last couple of months. But just as a refresher, because this is the official breakdown of the card. Uh, Daniel Cormier in their original match lost a, a unanimous decision, as I recall, forty-eight, forty-seven, and forty-nine, forty-six. I can't remember. I can't remember if it was two judges that were 49-46 and one that was 48-47 or the other way around. I Myself, I saw it 48-47, but I, I could understand the 49-46 too. It wasn't a controversial decision, but it was it was not an embarrassment. It was not a blowout uh, from Cormier's standpoint, not in my opinion. I think it was definitely the kind of fight that everybody was ready to see again, and now we get it. Yeah, and um, you know, as far as the outcome and calling the fight, um, I just don't see besides the X factor of just anything could happen in a fight. Um, you know, if you break this down, start off with mental toughness. Uh, Daniel Cormier, you know, he's tough, but I've seen him break when he fought John in that second, that first fight. I seen him break down at the waist and bend over in the corner when Bob Cook was going nuts on him about do you want this or not? And you've seen, I think, and most people can see that that the distinct mental breakdown that Daniel had in that fight, and even his post-fight speech. You can see a very broken mentally uh, individual, and and I've never seen John break. I mean, the guy can show up under situations that, that um, you know, you know, <laughs> that most athletes would probably freak out of if they had put themselves in that kind of corner to have to fight out of. And you know, it's bit him in the butt, you know, as far as his conduct and stuff. But you know, obviously, he's shown up less than prepared as far as his training leading up to the fight, which we've seen through drug tests and, yeah. and through self-admittance that, you know, he could have been a little bit sharper at, and the guy still just pulls through. And then if you go to just, so now we got the mental aspect, then you go to the physical aspects. Well, John is a superior physical athlete. He has reach, height, he's younger, um, he's stronger, um, you know, so he pretty much, I mean, he has a younger and older brother than the NFL. I mean, what are you going to say about his, uh, his, his DNA, mm-hmm. his genetic stock? And now we break down skill set. In every facet of the game, John's better than Daniel. You know, obviously, I don't think anybody's going to argue about the striking with the kicks and the and the punches that John is better. Um, John has much, you know, has many more submissions than than Daniel has so on the ground as far as a submission artist. Neither one of them are stellar, but you know, John is more proficient. He's choked out people in highlight fashion against Machida, arm locking, shoulder, you know, shoulder locking of either Belford, just to name a few. Yeah. Um, and then as far as grappling, which is Daniel Cormier's you know, wrestling aspect is a strongest suit. If Daniel Cormier and John Jones were to have a collegiate wrestling match, um, I'm betting on John. John is the better wrestler. Uh, you saw that in their matchup. So as far as just pure wrestling goes, John's better. And when I bring that point up to people, people are like, well, you know, Daniel, you know, national champ. This. And I'm like, that's because Daniel had his shit together outside of off the mat and was able to keep up the grades and do as far as social conduct to be able to acquire that scholarship to compete at the Division One level. John didn't. So John was stuck to going to a junior college. And on that level, he was the national champ. And, and, and it really was brought to my attention. I can't say that I figured that out on my own. And I think I've told this story before, but having a conversation one time, I was in the gym with Cale uh, Sanderson, getting to work with him a little bit and real laid back, super nice guy. And the conversation of John got brought up and it was somebody that Cale had actually tried to recruit. But 
wrestling wise, he saw John as a huge uh, asset. The other things that John brought to the table, especially at that time at an age and, you know, being a teenager, um, John wasn't picked up as for that scholarship, but he said that at the time that he goes, Oh yeah, I know John. Uh, when I first worked with him, there was the Olympic gold medalist right there. Mm. He had no doubt in his mind that if John had came and trained with him and kept his nose clean, that he would have been a gold medalist in on the Olympic level. And I got to believe that Kale, who's a four time national champ, undefeated gold medalist himself. And now he's, a, I think a five time national champion coach. Um, and, and someone who wrestled Daniel Cormier. And so, so he, wrestled so he, Daniel he had personal experience. Right. He had no doubt in his mind that John was a superior wrestler and that John, uh, you know, the potential he could have had just in pure wrestling. So then that being said, putting it all together, John has the factor that he does things outside the box. He's creative. It just, it's a hard fight for Daniel to win. He just has so many, and, and, I, and I feel for Daniel. I think he's trying to find his place in the world as the perpetual number two guy. And it sucks because it's not like he's like number two two and barely number two like he's a strong number two mm -hmm. i think without a doubt he's the second best uh guy at 205 i would mean you, would you say he's the bellator of this two-man equation at the time yes it's a it strong is. number two strong number two and uh <laughs> okay. you know daniel just you know is stuck in the you know that he is had john been born in any other era they you know daniel would be the undefeated Pound for pound, we would be, you know, heaping all the accolades of him being, you know, the number one guy. Mm -hmm. He happens to be a phenomenal fighter that during any other age would probably be the number one. He just, he's, you know, he's competing at the same time John's competing. And, and the worst part about it is he's about, what, 10 years older? Uh, eight or nine. Eight or nine. Yeah. So he's not going to outage. <laughs> it yeah. isn't like he can wait for John to get too old. Right. You know, if anything, you know, um, maybe if John had kept up his antics and you know and doesn't get his life straight and and makes mistakes in that facet of the game, then Daniel can go ahead and take over and uh, you know and, and make a reign here for a few years as the uh, number one guy. But uh, you know, just that's just not the fate he was dealt with. The thing that surprised me about their first fight is I believed Cormier would be the best wrestler that John Jones had ever fought. Still think that. Uh, but I the, the big revelation for me was that Cormier was out, or rather uh, that Jones was out wrestling Cormier in their first fight. Yeah. So that became clear to me. Um, I was one of the first, I might have been the first person. Uh, I was definitely one of the first people in the post-fight press conference after that fight to ask Cormier a question. And I asked him about the 49-46 the, the, the score versus the 48-47 score. As I said a moment ago, I had it 48-47. was basically asking him if he thought one or the other was fair. He could see an argument for both. So he started taking me round by round through his thinking where he thought the, the, the rounds fell. An interesting thing. And he, he just kind of mentioned it as an aside uh, as he was going through the rounds. You know, round one, this happened, da, da, da. round two, this happened. And then I believe it was the fourth round, he goes, round four, I took off, and then round five. And then he went right back into round five. But I thought that was pretty telling. I mean, I know some fighters make a decision to do that, especially if they think something is going toward a decision. But I don't hear them admit it a lot of times yeah. just like that. And now... 
I think that being said, that's probably a lesson learned from Cormier. I think if he takes a round off in this fight, it's not going to be a decision. It may just be, you know, he may be forced to do it physically. But I think that's actually something he could learn from the first fight. I also think yes and no. I think that it's a half-truth of what he said. I think Daniel, obviously, if you listen to him talk, very knowledgeable, and he's an extremely smart guy. Mm-hmm. Cannot take that away from him. So I think he knows that what we know, what we all saw, because he felt it and knew that he's on camera, that when he mentally broke, it took him around to kind of come back. Oh, okay. So I think it was his way. So if anybody sits there and goes, oh, we seen you break. And I think as far as a wrestler mentality, that is the worst thing that could have happened to him. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, someone broke me mentally. Mm-hmm. And so I think him saying, oh, I, I purposely pull back the throttle it's like nah you started questioning yourself you were getting out wrestled and i think in your mind you never saw that coming and i, I think that it crushed you and then the thing though leading up to that fight that still shocks the shit out of me that, mm-hmm. that night uh it was wednesday and john had, had we'd met up he wanted to, he didn't want to go to the regular workout area so i met him at red rock so i helped get him down there i talked to lorenzo like hey john's coming do you mind I'd use my thumbprint get him down into the private gym yeah, you're talking about the week of the cormier fight the week of the okay, cormier fight uh-huh. so now uh-huh. it's the wednesday mm-hmm. he goes down there it's brandon gibson myself and we're talking and he was asking something about a guillotine you know one that i had used like on a check congo so i'm showing him a little bit and right off the bat his guillotine is phenomenal you know the guy is strong long thin arms kind of scary and i was like man i can really see if you know if daniel shoots his head outside single that's money i mean you might end the fight there he goes well no i don't want to use it in the fight i was like what he goes maybe this is an additional threat to mess with his head i'm gonna i could wrap it you know just to kind of keep him from wanting to shoot that shot again if he feels the intensity of the choke but i'm not going to tap him i'm like so well i said what what you know what i mean like, and now i'm like okay hold on back step why are we not going to try to tap him like if you get in a situation where you can choke him out you're not yeah. going to choke him out no and he's looking at me now like I'm the crazy guy. Like, is somebody else listening to this? Like, so you don't want him to win the fight? He goes, no, 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 no. I have to break him. I was like, what? He goes, we're going to have to fight each other again. I need to break him. And if I catch him, if I knock him out with a knee, or if I submit him, he can go home and have something to focus on that that's what happened. That's what made me win. That's what wow. allowed me to win as I caught him. He goes, but if I crush his mind, I go in there, I beat him at what he does best and I outgrind him. If I embrace the grind and I break him with the grind, I'm like, I'll forever own him. He'll never be able to beat me. Like, you know, I need to do this to make sure that, because in one aspect, respecting how Daniel good he is, uh-huh. but in another going, I'm going to go out there and, and what he's best at, I'm going to crush him at it. So that, you know, maybe the next fight I go out and finish him real quick, but this fight, no, because wow. that's only going to allow him to have some kind of justification. Oh, you, you, you didn't beat me. You caught me. But yeah. whereas now Daniel basically, and, you, and when I was watching the post-fight conference, I'm watching, I'm like, holy shit you know john might have his problems as far as social you know activity you know i mean obviously everybody in the fucking world knows the issues john has had they're hard to keep straight (laughs) but as far as his fight iq and how to deal with people in a combat sport the guy's a savant you know i mean like really like super intelligent like how to deal like i mean basically he was telling me that He's a wrestler. He embraces that mindset that you can't be broken. It's better to die than be broken. And a wrestler can almost accept being thrown and pinned by somebody because they made a mistake. But you can't accept quitting. Hmm. And by him breaking him, essentially he made him quit. Mm -hmm. And, and, I mean, obviously you sound 
quite taken aback by that. I'm assuming that you had never really heard that kind of no. confidence and nope. long game thought and that sort of thing no. come out of a fight. I was totally shocked. Especially, I mean, you're talking somebody that Daniel Cormier at the time was undefeated. Yeah. You know, undefeated at heavyweight, moved down at light heavyweight. The guys made the Olympic team. You know, I'm sitting there going, you know, well, shit, John, this guy's really good. If you catch him, why don't we put the guy away? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you don't let somebody of that caliber off the hook so that you can try to like, well, I'm going to only beat him one way and I'm going to beat him this way. I'm all, no, come on, John. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you're not going to do that to him. Mm -hmm. Wow. Watch the fight. Well, <laughs> I, for, for all the reasons that we've talked about up to this point, I don't see why the fight would play out any differently than, than the first one. But I, I, I do want to say this. Um, the only thing that we've been able to see the John Jones, the only frame of reference we have is the Ovent St. Peru fight, which he, he still won and he won handily, but wasn't quite the spectacular John Jones we've seen in a lot of other fights. But the other thing is this, I don't think, and I don't have any firsthand information. I just, from, from probably stereotyping these types of, of folks that have these types of problems, I don't. Uh, I, I'm. I'm not going to believe that anything about John Jones has changed personally. So, uh, in terms of those things, there there is an eventual price to be paid for that. Now, when it comes, it's kind of hard to know. But it's like you know, it's like when somebody is so incredibly athletically gifted, genetically, all the rest of that that he is. But let's just say they ate like absolute crap right yeah, you're you're gonna them. you're gonna watch them for their whole career be awesome and we're gonna we're gonna marvel at the fact that they can eat like crap and still do what they do yeah but at some point it's gonna catch up with them and at that point we start saying oh my gosh as great as this guy was could you imagine if he if he ate decent or yeah. you know or whatever the and thing that's the part is that kind of sucks for dad or trained or I don't whatever think it he's is. gonna be able to i don't think he'll still be around when that actually happens okay right right if you think i mean I think John can probably still be John. Yeah. And what you're talking about feasibly could start happening when he's 32, 33, 34, yeah. where the partying lifestyle starts to catch up with you. Yeah. But by that time, now we're talking about a 42-year-old Daniel Cormier. You yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And so, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Daniel, because he, he has so much success in other aspects of broadcasting and, you know, being a coach and, and so many other, you know, abilities to generate revenue and 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 finds uh, fulfillment if he runs into uh, two times against you know uh, daniel you know if he loses again to john which is most likely going to happen um do you see him possibly just calling it a night calling it a uh, career that's a good question i mean because there's he's he's uh, he would still be undefeated except for john jones yeah um but at his, I mean, that, that's a good, I, I think he would have to ask himself realistically, what would it take to get back to another shot at John Jones? And I think is it, Daniel, do you think he's a draw outside of being the champ right now? No. Um, and you know, for that I mean, matter, like a, like a Dan Henderson is, a, was a draw all the way up. Yeah, no, it's so not, no matter it's what you like put that. Dan or, right, or right. like a Vandalay Silva or Chael Sonnen, yeah. regardless of whether they have a belt or not. You could put him on a main card, main event, or co-main no. event. But Daniel, it's like, well, Daniel, you kind of need the belt. There's not, you know. Yeah, there's no big money fight out there where we'd be like, but wait a second, he still hasn't fought 
fill in the blank here. Yeah. But I, I was, let's see what the outcome is. I mean, if it's decisive, then yeah, it's one thing. But if it's controversial, yeah. if it's, you know, if oh, maybe, yeah. maybe he's the first person to have John in serious trouble, but John still comes back and wins it. I think if we were to see anything like that, then Cormier's thinking has to immediately shift to what do I need to do to get, you know, a third fight against Jones. So I, I think it would depend on the manner in which he was defeated to to answer that. That's a lot question. of mental pressure he has to be going under right now. Yes, to know that you're facing a guy again. That and again because Daniel is so smart. Yeah, I know on paper he has to do the the math. Yeah, and the numbers don't support his ability to win on Saturday. And it's also the kind of thing too where even if you if you as Cormier had a few other losses on your record, it might be a little easier to think that you know, on any given night, as opposed to, wait a second, I can beat everybody in this entire Has he division. Has even lost a round to anybody else? You know what? No. Um, so I, not only until, is this guy undefeated. Up until he fought John Jones, he had lost not a lost a round. I mean, talk about just a definitive number two guy. Like, right. The number three guy, he's dusted. Like, yeah. there's no question in anybody's mind how good Daniel Cormier, he's a great fighter. Yeah. He just happens to be stuck with arguably pound for pound the best fighter of all time yeah yep it's true so uh uh that's going to be your main event for saturday night now the co-main event man this thing is so talent rich the welterweight title is on the line a classic example of a stylistic uh, dichotomy the champion tyron woodley defends his welterweight title against damian maya uh we got uh, tyron woodley uh, wrestler, knockout power against uh, the, the greatest jiu-jitsu practitioner in all of the UFC pound for pound, I would say, Frank, unless you want to disagree. No, no. Damian yeah. Maia, I think, honestly, is the best jiu-jitsu practitioner yeah. ever to compete in MMA. And if you look at Damian Maia's last couple of fights, uh, you know, Tyrone Woodley is going to have the explosiveness. That's yeah. something that uh, Maia is going to have to deal with, but... Uh, Maya has fought bigger. He's fought uh, at middleweight before. He's mm -hmm. come down to welterweight. And what this guy does is Damian Maya is one of these guys where you know exactly what he's going to do, but that doesn't mean you're going to be able to stop him. And if you look at his fight against Jorge Masvidal, if you look at his fight against Matt Brown, it was uh, you know lather, rinse, repeat for three straight rounds. Uh, get him down and then, uh, you know, suck the air out of him like a boa constrictor you've talked about uh rolling with him yeah. yourself frank Extremely and how that works man. yeah and that's why you know as the fight wears on damien is not super strong he's not super fast he just does everything the right way he's always in the right position mm -hmm. frame structure control balance uh you know he just he's about as flawless at ground fighting as anybody i've ever seen uh, but, you know, it's just this number here is the one that I think is the most telling one of how this fight's going to go, and that's the, uh, you know, takedowns defended. Uh, you know, Tyrone Woodley's defended 91.89% of the takedowns attempted mm -hmm. on him. I think I saw a stat where it's the second highest uh, ever in the UFC. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Damien getting into the ground. and But the thing is, Damien is creative. I'm still interested in this fight because if Damien's only way to get this fight to the ground was with a single or a double, 
then I think this fight's going to, you know, he's either going to get knocked out or just outpointed with hands for five rounds. But the fact that Damien has the potential to pull half guard, pull guard, you know, some of the exchanges and that he can try to create happen because he's not so worried about how they hit the ground where some guys style, you know, uh, very, you know, is very um, not necessary, but it's in their favor to hit the ground in a certain position on top or in half guard or side control. And they can work very, you know, uh, very well from there. Whereas Damien, uh, he could hit the ground pretty much anywhere. And if I was cornering against him, I would panic. You know, if I was the other guy's coach, if he jumps guard, I'm panicking that we're hitting the ground. Oh, shit, we're in trouble. Do you know what I mean? Like, there is no safe position uh, against Damien on the ground. Yeah, and and I would also think, too, that for anybody who could maybe have at any point a little bit of a gas tank issue, and a lot of times that happens with guys who have that short burst explosiveness, you know, after a, a number of times they can start to feel that. Maya would not be the kind of guy you would want to have gas tank issues against because if you're wearing him, you know, the way you described it to me from rolling with him, Frank, was like he's waiting for you to exhale so he can... He can take that next yeah. inch, right? Yeah, and, and every mistake you make, he just, it's like, all right, you, he doesn't make mistakes. And as you are trying to create openings and, mm. and movement, he's just absorbing that and just eating up territory. So it's like playing a game of chess that every time you make a mistake, the guy on the other side of the board yeah. just constantly is just taking pawns from you, eating up, taking the brook, just, you know, no major checkmate moves in two positions, but just steadily, you know, just quicksand type of approach. And when you described that to me, what I thought was, if I was already, you know, laboring to breathe or, you know, gas tank was depleted or whatever, I could see that having the psychological effect once you realize what's happening of kind of being afraid to take a breath. You know, kind of being afraid to exhale because you know when you do, that next inch gets gets taken. Well, and that I think also works in his favor a little bit, you know, against Woodley, where Woodley has to worry about making a mistake because right. you're not dealing with the kind of guy that if he wraps a guillotine or gets your back that he's, you know, oh, I can just shrug him off or the sweat will allow us to move. You know, Damien has been on guys and, and proven consistently how good he is in that world. So if Woodley sits there and goes, well, I'm going to jump forward and throw a left hook, it's like uh, on somebody else, if you get in trouble, you can scramble back up to your feet. It gives you that sense of comfort. Well, with, with Damien, it's like, Whatever I do, I have to do it sharply, and I can't make mistakes. And, and even though that if if Woodley fights to his capabilities and does everything right, I think it's a very hard fight for Damian to win. Mm-hmm. But that being said, is that's hard for that's a for twenty five minutes or until you knock out you know Damian, don't make a mistake. That's a that's not easy. Yeah, <laughs> fighters, we make mistakes. Everybody, you know, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh man, I, you know, my balance is over here. I was thinking about doing this. You know, I thought I saw something. You know, and you know, the, there's a certain level of chaos in a fight, and and that's the world that Damien lives in. That as you create chaos an explosive athlete, like even myself, like when I roll, I'm used to, you know, explosive movements, scrambles. And I kind of like, like to live in that world of the scramble that where we both don't quite know where we are. Boom. I'm snatching onto a leg or, or wrapping a neck where Damien is like smushing, you know, and, 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 and basically, uh, uh, 
extinguishes that scramble chaos world and goes, nope, every time you make a mistake, I'm not going to be in chaos. You mm-hmm. might be scrambling, but I'm sitting here and just kind of like, you know, I'm up in a perch and he's just that hunter just pecking away, pulling the trigger like, nope, all right, you want to go that way? All right, cool. All right, you're going to go this way? That's where I wanted you. You're like, ah, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that could be a factor here is the power of Tyron Woodley. He yeah. banished Robbie Lawler very quickly to take that title. Uh, Woodley lands more significant strikes per minute than Maya does, but he also absorbs more than Maya does. And I guess if you're Damian Maya, if you're not going to have knockout power, what you've got to do is be uh, pretty adept at not getting hit by a knockout punch. So, well, And Woodley likes to, if you watch some of the fights, when he comes ho- forward with left hooks and the jab cross, he explodes in, which gives mm-hmm. him that power. But I have to wonder, is this corner going to allow him, or have they been training going, okay, you know, when you see the one-two, you know, that little, you know, pop in that guys do the slide in, you know, slide in, go one-two. Well, Damien's not the guy you probably want to do that to. It's like, all right, we're going to throw hard, but we can't move our weight forward. We're going to have to throw, keep our weight between our knees, uh, you know, and not, you know, let him come at us, beat him up, and then step off on angles to not let him grab us and try to. Because even if Damien can't get him down, I can see him wanting to get hands on Woodley and create, you know, a, a clinch fight. Let me just grind it out because as far as, you know, uh, Damien doesn't get tired as well. Because, again, it goes back to that efficiency. Whereas Woodley relies a lot upon power and explosion. You know, he's one hell of a gifted athlete, and he's worked on it to really, uh, uh, you know, to accentuate and benefit from that explosion with his style. But, you know, like the the, the left hook that he caught, uh, you know, Robbie Lawler with, he was coming forward. You know, the right hand that he stunned uh, um, uh, Wonder Boy with, he was exploding forward with that right hand. Those are great shots, but if he misses those shots, those are uh, then his wrestling ability is going to be tested even more because it's much harder to avoid a takedown when you're exploding forward into somebody. So especially with a guy like Damien, whose response is not going to just move his head off and throw a punch back, he sees you exploding forward. It's going to become old school jujitsu time. He's going to move his head offline and try to wrap your waist, try to grab the leg. Yeah. So then that goes into this game where it's like, all right, now you're worried that he's going to do that, and then I wonder how that plays into Tyrod Woodley's style because I've seen him second-guess himself in fights already. I think that's one of the reasons why the Wonder Boy fights were so boring to watch. And everybody's like, oh, you know, Woodley, why aren't you fighting? Because Woodley is hes a smart guy. But I think he sometimes overthinks things. And so he's sitting there running the numbers in his head. Well, if I do this, Wonder Boy might do that. Or if I do that. And so he really did never pull the trigger. And that could be a problem with, uh, you know, Damien also. If he doesn't pull the trigger... <laughs> sorry, I think she wants over there... Uh, you know, then he hesitates and, and, and well, I don't know, actually not pulling the trigger and kind of fighting a, a slower throwing a fight that might not be very exciting to the fans. I think would if I see that kind of fight occurring on Saturday, I think that's better for Woodley. I think if I was in Woodley's corner, I would want to fight a slow action fight so that those slips and scrambles and those accidental falling down, mm. you know, uh, you know, chaos type situations don't occur that often, you know, sit there and go, hey, look, we're going to go jab, cross, step off jab. You know, we're going to just pepper this kid with the jab and move off in different angles. You know, if at any moment you feel an, an opportunity to land your right hand or left hook, you see a home for it, go ahead and throw it, but let's not 
throw it to knock him out. Just throw it to, you know, hurt him. But let's stay where half your mind is still thinking defense, half your mind is thinking offense. At no point in that fight would I want Woodley to go 100% offense. Mm -hmm. I think that's when he could get in trouble. The feature bout is another title fight. Uh, Chris Cyborg taking on Tanya Evinger for the women's featherweight title. Now, the path to get here was bizarre. Um, <laughs> to say the least. The UFC, uh, I guess beginning of the year or shortly thereafter, uh, created the women's 145-pound title. We had Jermaine uh, Durandamy and Holly Holm fighting for that new title. Well, originally it was supposed to be Cyborg. and Cyborg. Right, Cyborg. Cyborg failed the drug test. Yes. But later they gave her a... It was a supplement deal, and they gave they gave her well, no, like it was a, medication she took from the doctor. Oh, that's what. It, but it was a it was like a reduced Ret sentence. Basically. Well, I think it was a retroactive. That's what it was. They just basically the sentence was reduced to the time served. Yeah, but it was a retroactive TUE, which still confuses me. <laughs> yeah, something she thought she was okay taking, but it turns out she wasn't. And I mean, nowadays with USADA, like if you take anything from the doctor. You got to assume that it's not okay. Yeah, like, you have to get okay by it. I mean, yeah. an inhaler could save someone's life, yeah. but if you take it, you have to have a TUE to fight with it. Yeah. So she was uh, temporarily sidelined. So that created the Durandamy home fight. Durandamy won that fight, so she claimed the title. It got weird when Cyborg announced her return, and Durandamy said, "Okay, I'll be leaving now." Uh, I'm going to go back to 135 pounds. One of the stranger uh, uh, title vacancies I've ever seen where somebody vacates not because of an injury or anything like that, but just because, okay, I won the title, I'm the champ, I'm going to go fight in this other weight division. Yeah, I think Evanger probably, or uh, Germanamine, <laughs> got advice. It sounded like very much of a manager move yeah. to pull more money. If I have to take my guess at okay. it, I think that basically her manager goes, look, they made this belt. This weight class is basically the cyborg. They shouldn't even call it the featherweight. Yeah. It's the cyborg weight class. You know, yeah. like, like this, they're looking for a way to make her a champion and make her one of the marquee faces of the UFC. She's a dominant fighter. So um, because of the situation with the, uh, the, you know, the drug testing, she was out of it. Now you have the belt. Um, the UFC didn't create this belt for you. They're not. They're not putting the marketing machine behind you. Right. Uh, so this is your opportunity and probably your only opportunity to make big money is in this fight with Cyborg. And because you're the champ, they you have one element that's essential to this equation: the belt. The belt. Mm -hmm. And so I think they. Uh, um, I think she tried to play hardball, going, "Well, I really don't want this fight. I want to fight her." I might thinking that now the UFC would come to the table, going, "All right, what is it going to take to you know to get you to you know defend the belt against mm -hmm. uh, Cyborg?" And I think that that would have made sense, you know, if we're talking about you know uh, Stipe or, or, or DJ or you know we saw that with DJ. He said he didn't want to fight against TJ Dillashaw. Mm -hmm. They didn't strip him of the belt. They didn't sit yeah. there and go, well, you're not fighting who we want you to fight, so dude, you're done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where the UFC, I think Jermaine, uh, you know, just kind of overvalued what she had. She, you know, she thought her, her hand was stronger than that, mm -hmm. and so they just they stripped her. So, I mean, 
I don't. I, it made sense what she was doing, except for the factor of that they were like, well, once again, this isn't about you. We don't care who's on the other side of this thing as long as we have Cyborg in there. And what can we do to put a belt around her waist? So that got us to uh, Chris Cyborg and Megan Anderson, who was Invicta's. I guess still is Invicta's. Uh, Maybe is she? I don't know if she got stripped that title or not. They're 145-pound featherweight champ. The weird thing was, though, once that uh, spot was opened up for Anderson, because Durandamy vacated, she took the fight, but then not very long after she took the fight, she pulled out of the fight with Cyborg, citing some personal reasons. So now Cyborg is without yeah, an opponent I, I, again I at that the, point. Is there more information on that one? Not yet? that I've heard. Oh, Travis. She's, uh, do you know? From what I heard, I, I think it was on uh, Ariel's show on Monday. I think uh, Megan had visa issues. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, I don't know how all that works, but hmm. she, uh, I mean, she's an Australian fighter and she's fought uh, in America before because she fights for Invicta. All That's their funny. shows. the first are... time I've heard of an Australian fighter having problems with Visa coming yeah. to the States. It just seems like you'd say Visa problems as opposed to personal problems because that clears it up. Well, unless the Visa problems are because of things you don't want to talk about. You know, oh. well, you know, it could be a drug charge. I mean, I'm not, you know. Yeah. There could be reasons why. It's like, well, why are you having, you know, because that Visa problem then leads to the next question. Well, what's the Visa problem? Oh, gotcha. And that might be something you not want, necessarily you don't want to answer. Okay. So I think there's whenever somebody you know wants to basically shut down the conversation, yes, cite personal problems. It's like oh well, shit. Well, mm-hmm. she's not really telling us what those personal problems are. Yeah, uh, I guess she's not going to open that door. Okay, I got it. Um, I would think. I mean, I'm just yeah. No, it's it a, it's there, a theory. Man. Yeah, it's a theory. It could be one of several things, but maybe that's why she doesn't want it mentioned. It's kind of like when people start asking about my sexuality, I just tell them I'm a confirmed bachelor and quickly change the subject. Uh, so that has opened the door for Tanya Triple Threat Avenger. Now, if you don't know Tanya's name, uh, you have not been watching Invicta because uh, Tanya Avenger is the uh, women's bantamweight champion over there in Invicta. Again, I don't know if she had to vacate her title because she's coming over here to take this fire. I'm not sure where she stands in Invicta, but uh, she is a grinder. This is a a woman with a wrestling background that she can grind on you for, you know, three rounds and wear you down and outpoint you and win, win herself a fight. Not always outpointing. Sometimes she finishes fights too. But um, uh, she she's the kind of fighter, Frank, that it's like she's dominant, but the, it's going to be tough to find something in there to market in the way that the UFC likes to market yeah. in terms of that style. And she There's only not fights be, at Bantamweight, though, correct? That's right. So she's moving up to fight at 145 uh, pounds. Now, you start looking at, I mean, it, first of all, it's a great opportunity for her. I like her. I like watch. I, I've enjoyed watching her fight. I think as far as wrestling goes, she's going to present a challenge to Cyborg that Cyborg hasn't always encountered in in her opponents. Yes. But uh, the challenge is going to be getting Cyborg uh, to the mat. Is this stat right that Cyborg has never been taken down? That says she's defended 100% of takedowns. 
Uh, this is UFC.com we're getting that stat from. So, yeah, I, I mean, off the top of my head, I couldn't say that's wrong. I can't think of a time. That it makes sense. I mean, she just overpowers yeah. so many of the girls. She's just, you know, uh, physically, I've never seen her as a mismatch on the weak side. I mean, she's yeah. always, it almost looks like basically a, a male competitor versus female yeah. competitors. Now, I mean, you know, not to be a dick, I'm not saying anything in that, but I mean, she just physically because yeah. in fact we don't even really talk about chris's technique that often i mean she fights in kickboxing matches and i've actually one of the matches she was here in vegas she actually lost mm. uh when i think she was fighting a lion's fight and i was actually taken back a little bit but then it brought up my mind i'm like oh i don't really know how skilled she really is because mm. it seems like when she fights girls skill's not really a factor she just manhandles them so much on a physical level that yeah Again, it's like just there's so much power and strength and size in her favor that, you know, like if you sat there and go, well, how's her jab? How's her hands? How's her head movement? I'm like, I don't know. She just bullies the shit out of the girls. Mm -hmm. And that's why Evanger moving up from, you know, again, Bantamweight, it makes me question like, well, how much is she going to deal with the size and strength disparity? But the fact that she is technically the superior wrestler, if she can put Cyborg on her back, I'd like to see Cyborg actually have to fight non just you know be able to actually pull from the toolbox because you know i'm not really here nor there on chris to be honest with you because myself being very much of a person who's a fan of technique mm -hmm. i don't know what cyborg's good at except for just powering girls yeah. does that make sense yeah. like she's just it's brutal you know but yeah. like I, I remember you know even back in the day watching her versus gina carano there wasn't anything technically superior that she did. Gina was actually probably the better stand-up fighter. She is technically the better stand-up fighter, but she just got basically snatched up, thrown to the mat, jumped on top of her and started pounding her, and it, it, it just it looked like two different athletes that probably shouldn't be competing against each other. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, that's not fair. <laughs> well, this is, uh, and, and if again, if these stats are accurate from uh, UFC.com, Tanya Evinger, over 24 fights has stuck every one of her takedowns she has a hundred percent takedown accuracy so we're can that be right no no this i think this is one of these incomplete stat situations like where it says up there her leg reaches zero inches yeah takedown accuracy a hundred percent so no in 24 right? fights every time she's changed levels or went for a takedown. I mean, because then, I mean, does that mean in her five losses she never even attempted a takedown? Or 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 scored the takedowns and just lost the fight anyway. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying, though. So, I mean, that she's had to have scored every – like, that's just – well, you're right. I guess you're in that mindset. Yeah. She got the takedown and still lost the Still fight. lost the fight. Well, I, I guess. Know, look it up. Anyway, I can tell you she's very good at it. <laughs> if that's – if that – whether or not that's accurate. But I, I – so, so I think – that this is um, of of all the possible matchups, this is actually kind of the most interesting yeah, one. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, here's another one that's yeah. actually significant strikes landed per minute. I mean, oh, you might have to close the door. The wife's coming home. The dogs are going to go freak. Travis, <laughs> um, securing the door to the bunker uh, here. They're uh, landed per minute. It just shows you that. Chris gets into positions because she just throws beat girls around mm -hmm. that they just can't even, I mean, they just cover up. So, that, you know, 8.24 landed per minute. Uh, that has to be one of the highest ones in the UFC, right? I would think so. I can't even, I mean, usually I'm, you know, the, there's people in the threes and fours that are impressive. Champions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know if anybody else is even in six that I can remember offhand. Mm -hmm. And then 
then on the other end, Tanya's at 0.5. Yeah. Well, uh, this, this one is, you know, Cyborg is kind of one of those fighters that's kind of like, you know, Cyborg versus TBA. You know, like you see Cyborg's name, you kind of uh, uh, get intrigued by the fight, and a lot of times it doesn't have so much to do with who she's matching up against. I would say in this case, uh, that's maybe not so much the case because of what I've seen of Tanya in Invicta. So I'm looking forward to seeing her in this. Uh, all right. Uh, Robbie Lawler and Donald Cerrone, we were talking about that uh, a little while ago. And this fight, first of all, how lucky are we that this fight has been scheduled and called off twice and it still got made? Because for as much as I think everybody was anticipating uh, this fight and excited about it, a lot of times when a fight gets called off twice, it, something else ends up happening before it can be made a third time. You know what I mean? Somebody goes off, gets matched up against somebody else. It's like it's like breaking up with your girlfriend twice and her not actually having started dating anyone else before you give it a third try. Yeah. Uh, pretty rare. So fortunately, it's going to happen. Number three ranked welterweight Robbie Lawler taking on number six ranked welterweight Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Where do we start here, Frank? Well, I mean, I think Robbie's been out for a little bit, but I mean, the guy's style doesn't take a whole lot of timing. I mean, the guy's been out a year. Yeah, he's a tank. He comes forward, he absorbs, and takes a lot of punishment, but he's able to walk through shots. He's super hard to knock out. You know, the guy has a granite chin. You know, I mean, Woodley made short work from catching, but, you know, Woodley, obviously, if he lands properly, could knock down a building. Uh, you know, and then, you know, he has that left hand. He's always in there. He's, you know, powerful right hook, the uppercuts. He throws hard. He throws menacing. You know, uh, Robbie's also very hard to take down. You know, he is a very good wrestler, but he doesn't use it offensively. He's very good on the defensive level. We saw mm -hmm. in the fight with, you know, a, a big rig where he had, you know, I think it was he defended 17 of the takedown attempts. He just, he's very hard to put down. Um, and then on the other side, you're going to get Donald Cerrone, who I think is probably one of the most technical strikers in MMA. If you want to watch combinations and flow and footwork and offensive maneuvers and just making people miss and landing shots, I mean, the guy has a record for the most head kick knockouts by a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, the guy, you know, it's like watching a video game, watching him move and watching him work. Uh, sometimes he does get caught in the mix of those uh, of combinations and has been hit and, you know, has had known to have a problem you know taking shots sometimes to the body uh in this fight you know i'm edging towards donald cerrone i think that i think he has much more offensive power as far as just he can throw the kicks to any part of the body his hand combinations go to all directions he's busier he uh you know and he also is a threat with the takedown he doesn't have the best double leg in the business but he's willing to take that shot and he is smooth with it so he catches guys off guard with it all the time and once they're on the ground he is a very good black belt in jiu-jitsu i don't know if he's ever been officially given that rank because he's not a gi guy but you know i've rolled with him the guy's good you know he knows how to fight off his back he's very submission savvy where Robbie Lawler is you know he's just kind of a uh, you know he's a caveman you know the guy just wants to I'm going to knock you out yeah. live by the sword die by the sword Lawler doesn't really submit people no, I don't think he's ever even that, that's tried. A, well, that's actually the stat that jumps out at you is uh, Donald Cerrone's 50% submission success rate to Lawler's 4% 
Yeah, there you go. Uh, and who knows at what point in the career that well, I, yeah, I don't that, remember, that, you know, that even happened. Been, they could have been yeah. in a second or third fight right. somewhere in Hawaii. And yeah. so, uh, you know, either guy, you know, obviously Lawler has that X factor of just, you know, great power. And, you know, and Donald sometimes can get caught with shots like anybody who's a stand up fighter. You know, you know, it's kind of that thing where, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. You're in that range to, to, to knock people around. You're in that range to receive a shot back. But I just feel that Donald is the, you know, superior fighter. If you look at his ability to throw hands to the body, to the head, the combination, the way he flows with his kicks. And again, the fact that he still fights like an MMA fighter. He's not purely just a kickboxer standing in front of you he will change levels and throw you down i mean he did that against rick story i think that threw story off in the fight where all of a sudden here's the combinations coming beautifully from donald and story goes in to want to brawl and try to make it ugly and then all of a sudden boom double leg takedown from uh donald takes the fight to the ground and adds that next element where you sit there and he can throw from so many different angles but then you also have to worry about at any level him any moment him changing levels to take that shot yeah, and you know, for uh, a time, uh, a couple of challenges that Donald Cerrone seemed to have. Uh, one, uh, sometimes issues with left-handers. Robbie Lawler's a left-hander. Also, uh, starting slow. That seemed to yes, be more. Th- that. that seemed to be more the case though when he was fighting at lightweight. And you know, I don't know if that maybe had something to do with the weight cut he had to deal with or, or what. But you're right. He has he he has fixed that. So that being said, maybe a couple of things you know, and 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 juxtaposed to Lawler's explosiveness, maybe a couple of things that at a different point in Cerrone's career we might be taking more note of than we are now, in terms of a challenge for yeah. uh, Cerrone. I guess what I'm saying is, Frank, do you see those maybe not being as big of a concern no, I mean, as they have been in the past? And I remember when he was fighting Story, I brought that up. Oh, I think at that point, because it was coming off of the... Uh, you know, so as far as, yeah, the left-handed thing and then starting off slow, uh, you know, would get him in trouble. The left-handed thing, obviously, Robert is a southpaw. You know, that would have been a factor. Had that still been a factor, but I think that he's gotten over that or you know, maybe that stat was just more of a coincidence and an actual factor for us to look at in some of his uh, past defeats. Uh, and then uh, and then also starting slow. But as far as I remember, Robbie's not really a barn burner of a fighter coming out the gate either. I mean, mm-hmm. he comes out strong. He doesn't hesitate, but I don't think he's either here nor there on the whole pace of the first round. I don't think he jumps on guys. I don't necessarily think he hesitates either. So... Uh, I don't know if that would have been a factor if Donald still had issues with it, but you know, he doesn't now he's come out there and I mean, uh, he's really fought well. I think that, uh, you know, I mean, besides the fact that when you fight this many times as Donald has, I mean, I think at this point, if he wins uh, on Saturday night, uh, he's going to tie the all time win record. Yeah. So this is interesting. Uh, This is the case with both Cerrone and Maya. If they win, they will tie George St. Pierre's all time win record. I believe the number is 19. Yeah. That's super impressive. So, I mean, Donald's point. so busy that, look, I mean, there's very few fighters in the world that, that are walking. I mean, we're talking uh, 1% of the 1% of the 1% that could, you know, probably always be on the winning side of a fight never get caught you know and because of the style and and that being said it's very hard for that to be a striker if you like to strike i think that you're going to have knockouts you're going to have losses on your record because they tape our hands 
and we're only putting a four ounce glove on there. So if you're going to stand in range to throw bombs, you're eventually, if you fight enough times, and we can go down the list. I mean, you go in the heavyweight champ right now, Stipe Miocic, who's one of the most dominant heavyweights the UFC's ever seen. Uh, he's now, you know, defended the heavyweight belt more times than anybody else has. He has a five, I think, first round knockouts in a row going on. He's been knocked out in the first round himself. Yeah. You know what I mean? So so if you stand in front of guys and you throw punches, it's going to event I mean, it's it's a numbers game that we're yes the superior fighter will win 99% of the time. But guess what? That 1% shows up every now and then. And that's what you're seeing with these guys are strikers. Uh, guys like uh, Demetrius Johnson and, and, and John Jones, I think, are able to maintain in their weight classes that undefeated streak much easier. And even Daniel Cormier, not counting John Jones, is, you know, let's eliminate John, and Daniel's technically undefeated too. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have that grappler type of fighting mindset because you're able to i think you know they use the strikes they're able to you know get their knockouts but they you know majority of the fight they're able to control distance and clinch and take guys down and they eliminate that factor of well i'm always here standing and throwing punches even if i'm not ready to whereas one of those guys are not ready to necessarily exchange hands they go for the takedown now at this uh, point in the show we should explain that Donald Cowboy Cerrone was supposed to be on this episode of the broadcast. This morning, uh, Frank and I got together early. We were going to pre Way too early, Donald. If you're listening to this, <laughs> we uh, fucking my doorbell went off at 8 in the morning. I yeah. drove in from Disneyland last night. Didn't yes. get to bed till about 3 in the morning yes. after unloading the truck. You're like, hey, I got to interview Donald. You know, Do you want me to just, you know, what time? I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, mm-hmm. so like you know, at eight forty-five this morning, the wife, you know, you know, Richard's gonna be here at any moment. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. By yep. the time you rung the doorbell, I was still getting dressed. I you were. To, you came to the door with your shirt halfway on. That's because before that, I was just putting shorts on. I was naked. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the plan was to get together early this morning and pre-tape an interview with uh, with Cowboy. Now, if if I. We've talked about this before, but it, this was not something that was booked spe- uh, uh, exclusively for our show. So what happens is uh, with the UFC, Frank's been on the other side of this many a time. When it's fight week, the UFC will put together a roster of four or five fighters that are on the card, and they are offered up to radio stations Wait a minute, around the, the country. Card? No, everybody doesn't get to do an interview. Oh, assholes. See, I'm you, always screwed fucking doing the interviews. You know what that is, though? You were so popular, you never even realized that it wasn't the no. whole card. Yeah. That, that girl at the party. I thought everybody was invited. Well, Frank I thought everybody it. got asked out on dates yeah, all the like, time. I'm not the only one in the backseat of the car no. here. No. <laughs> uh, so, so what happens is, during fight week, the, the PR firm sends out a list. Hey, we have these fighters available. And, you know, you get them for eight to ten minutes. You've heard us do these interviews on the show before, where sometimes that's a reason why it might just be me on the phone with them if uh, Frank was out of town or something. That's we tried in the morning. Or that. We tried to do them together whenever we can, and this was an opportunity to do one together. So I said, all right, I'll come over in the morning. We were the first interview on his list. So we were supposed to do it at nine this morning. And they probably had him scheduled for another 10 or 20 after that, yep. right? I mean, you've done these. Two hours. Yeah, about a couple hours. No, worth, yeah, it's right? two okay. hours at least. Yeah, okay. So so we're all set. We're ready to go at 9. And about 9 o'clock, the publicist calls me and says, well, we can't find him. So uh, normally, we would just sit and wait in uh, total darkness. But 
we had an inside man. So I texted Travis uh, at the construction site, and I said, uh, hey, Travis, can you help us find Cowboy because he's not answering the phone? Now, come on here, Travis, because at this point, you told me, uh, what was your initial response when I told you that we could not reach Cowboy by phone at 9 a.m.? Uh, I said it's unlikely he'd be awake at that time. Yes, you believe. You said he went to bed about an hour ago, probably. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, because it's fight week, and that's that's what fighters do. They stay up all night. Well, I mean, yeah. because we, I mean, it makes sense. It's funny whenever I've, I hate, okay, here. The thing about doing that tour is that a majority of them are morning shows. Yeah. And you get those guys. and, and, and Hey, it's Gator and the Madman. Uh, ten past the hour, ten past the hour, traffic coming up. Hey, well, hey, we got Frank Mir on the phone. Frank, how you doing, man? Good yeah. to talk to you. And there's all those weird noises Come they're on, making. Come on, role play with me. How many, doop, 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 yeah, yeah. Doop. And that's usually pow, like, pow, hey, oh, man, ow, hey, ow. Hey, hey Frank, how you doing, man? Good to talk to you. Yeah, it's good, man. Good to okay, be here. Okay, hey, listen, you got a big <laughs> fight coming up this weekend, uh, UFC 214. Uh, listen, hey, uh, world da- world's uh, most dangerous man, Ken Shamrocks, he's still uh, fighting over there. I know I've seen him fight. Holy shit, you're giving me deja vu, dude. <laughs> Sound like I think somebody actually even said that to me once. <laughs> yeah, and then the other thing too is sometimes they get upset, and now they got to realize that you know we stay up late because we fight. And especially if you're a main event fighter, if you're even on yeah. the main card, the card doesn't start till fucking seven. Yeah, you're getting your clock adjusted. Right. So right? why would you be up at six in the fucking morning, geared up, ready to go? You're not ready to compete for another twelve to fourteen hours. You want to train about the time that yeah. you're going to fight, right? Okay. You know, I mean, if I fought at eight in the morning, then yeah. I would be up at six a.m., perky and ready to go. And the guys are like, "Oh, come on, man! Don't you get up at six in the morning and go for yeah. a run?" I'm all. Have you ever watched a UFC at 6 in the morning? Yeah. We don't really compete at 6 in the morning. Yeah. We compete at nighttime. So yeah. that's where we're geared up, ready to go. And so it's always rough when you go with the morning show guys that are like, come on, let me see some energy. I'm like, that's your yeah. job, dude. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not asking you to come fucking fight for a Saturday night, am I? You could go stay and drink your beer and hang out in the fucking audience. Do your job. You get excited. You want to ramp your guys up, but, you know. Two men in or one man li- one man leaves in the octagon. Hey Frank, uh, tell me something. The, the, the UFC does this thing have rules? Are there rules? Are there any rules? This thing or is it just uh, fight to the death? Go on, tell me. That is funny as shit. <laughs> I have had more than I want to care to remember that conversation. Okay, so so that's yes. what he was facing with his morning. Okay, but I wasn't so, even giving the thing like, "Hey, man, aren't you glad it's us first thing?" You right. Get? I, mean, I like, thought we'd be a pleasant we surprise. ease into this. You yeah, know I mean? it's like you that, know that, that's the other thing because he doesn't know who he's going to be on with. Now, if we'd set this up just personally through Travis or something, that'd be different because it'd right. be a one-off. But he—it's not like he's got a list going. Uh, you know, looking at what market he's on with or whatever. So we would have sort. We I we would have surprised him when he would have heard our voice on the other Pleasantly. phone. Pleasant surprise. So then uh, I said to uh, Travis, I texted uh, Travis a picture of Frank uh, sleeping uh, with his head down on the kitchen counter and a cup of coffee in front of him while the the PR staff was trying to track him down. I thought, you know, this would be funny if 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 uh, if our producer can get to him before his employer can. So I thought this would be a little fun race against time. And you actually got a response from him i don't think i don't know that uh the ufc's publicist ever exactly got that but first you were working your back channels right travis who did you who you contacted some of his his uh his entourage well i'll have to back up a little bit so first you sent me the picture and said can you try to get hold of cowboy and let him know that uh here's what's happening frank is anxiously awaiting yes (laughs) so i just sent him the picture with a couple laughing faces and said uh frank's waiting yeah 
and uh, I, I I got nothing. And uh, so I, I watched the text. You know, on iPhones, you can see the little the bubble, little bubble little when bubble they start to respond. Up. Yeah. So uh, I didn't get nothing. And then you sent me another text saying the UFC people couldn't get a hold of him at all, and they didn't know where he was. Yeah. So I started worrying, knowing him, and uh, I mean, he's been on a couple shows saying he's riding his Harley all over LA, and traffic's crazy. I got a little nervous. You know what I mean? I, you're yeah. such a good friend, Travis. Yeah. Isn't that a good friend? When yep. you hear that, the first thing you True think concern. is wants to make sure you're okay. Uh-huh. So I'm concerned for his well-being first and foremost. Yes, I'm, I'm sure he'll tell you. I'm a little bit too responsible for some of the things that he likes to do. Yeah. So, uh, uh, I know it's Frank. You know Mikey, right? His buddy Mikey yeah, is always yeah. with him. So I know, I know Mikey's down there. So I, I called Mikey. I said, "Hey, uh, are you with Donald?" And he said, "Well, I'm I'm in the hotel. He's out in the RV. Why?" I said. Well, I was just a little bit nervous. I uh, I know they're trying to get a hold of him to do some interviews, and uh, nobody can find him. And he's like, no, he's sleeping. He's like, we don't have anything to do till 11. Uh-oh. And then right then, Cowboy called me. And uh, he's like, what are you talking about? What Frank's waiting for me? Where? <laughs> I said, oh, I, I think they had an interview with you at 9. And he goes, uh, were them the ones that called me 41 times and I had to block the number? Okay, now let me tell you what this is. What that was, he goes, oh, it was a 212 number. That it, right, he said he got yeah. forty calls from the two one two number is the public is the PR yeah. firm. That's the number that calls us. Right. So it, they were basically calling him to try to wake him up. And then for fans end. at home, what happens is the UFC has a call center, basically. Or I don't yeah, know, yeah. It's in they, New York. Yeah, they call you and they get the yeah. fighter on the phone. Yes. And then they basically three way call. Yep. And monitor and time each rate. So you're not calling. They're not calling you. They're dealing with that. So then they go, yeah. okay, now we're on to the next. This is who we're calling. Hold on. Ring, ring, ring. They yep. And they constantly are you know, uh, yeah. controlling the whole thing. So so he, he wakes up. He sees he's got 40 calls from this number and, and then just blocks it. it. Yeah, right. Okay. That's so, cool so, so that explains that as to uh, why, we, uh, why we didn't get a hold of him. <laughs> but tell him he owes us one. At some point, he's got to come on the show. No, he did feel bad. He said, I, I didn't know. He, there was a miscommunication. He didn't know he had anything right early. Yeah. And uh, he for sure didn't know it was us. So yeah. uh, he, he's, he said he's got us for one. Okay. All right. Very good. Cool. I'll, I'll look forward to that visit uh, when uh, when we have it. But yeah, it was, a, it was a funny story from this morning. All right. Uh, another couple of quick mentions here. Jimmy Manoa is uh, on the card if you want to hit uh, that, Travis. You know, Manoa was uh, discussed. He'll uh, he'll be taking on uh, Volkan Ozdemir, uh, who is a, a quietly ranked number five in the light heavyweight division. Uh, the poster boy, Manoa, is, sits at number three, and he was mentioned as a possibility for John Jones, you know, waiting to see what was going to happen with Jones and Cormier in this rematch and all that sort of thing. So uh, do not think that Jimmy Manoa will not, uh, well, first and foremost, be focused on winning this fight. But should he win it, uh, he is a very logical conclusion for the winner of the main event between uh, Jones and Cormier. Uh, also, on the undercard, this one I'm real excited about. Ricardo Lamas and Jason Knight. Now, uh, Lamas, the bully, number three-ranked featherweight, a wrestler, a guy who's been a perennial contender for quite some time, taking on a guy who's ranked all the way down at number 15, Jason the Kid Knight. But this, and I think Knight was a replacement opponent, if I'm not mistaken, for this uh, card. But uh, this guy, a 20-2 and two fighter out of uh, Mississippi, he trains he's trained by former UFC fighter Alan Belcher. Uh, and uh, this guy is exciting to watch. He's a jiu-jitsu guy, Frank. Uh, 
You know, in a lot of ways, kind of reminds me of a of a smaller version of Cowboy in terms of not doesn't have the Muay Thai game, but I mean, as far as uh, you know, prowess on the ground, but also just the grit. You know, just the up for anything, fighting anybody, um, and is very outspoken too about uh, you know where where he thinks his uh, his career is headed. His fans show up with the uh, rebel flag on their T shirt. That's a little tense. Uh, but I think he's quick. To, I think Mississippi actually still has the rebel flag, like as part of their state flag. So they're they're a little slow to evolve out there. Yep. But uh, you you've not seen too much of this this guy, right? I mean, no, I know no, I've been I telling you about him. No. Yeah, I, I, think, I remember uh, actually. So far, the only times his name's been brought yeah. up is from you. Yeah, he's you know oh, he, Travis has some. Yeah. Have you? Uh, I know they got his uh, nickname as the kid, but have you guys heard to him referred to as Hick Diaz? No, that's oh. good. I like Hick Diaz. That's fitting too. I mean, he is kind of like the, uh, uh, you know, the I could see him as a Diaz brothers, you know, backwoods cousin or something like that. Uh, but this is a real potential coming out party for him. I mean, you know, Lamas is an incredible step up in competition. So we'll we'll see how that goes down. But should he, even if he doesn't win this fight, if he just looks impressive, uh, this is really putting Jason Knight on the big stage. Also, uh, Aljamain Sterling taking on Hennan Burrell. Check this out, Frank. The former Bantamweight champion Hennan Burrell is fighting uh, number eight ranked Aljamain Sterling at uh, a catchweight. Because Burrell could not the- get a uh, sanction for 135 pounds. Yeah, I heard that. I heard that the California Commission basically, from the get go, uh, said that no, we no matter you could show up at 120 pounds. Yep, we are not sanctioning you to fight 135 pounds because of the weight cutting issues he's had in the past. You remember he fainted in the bathtub morning of the fight uh, to uh, fight T.J. Dillashaw in Sacramento in their rematch, and then that fight didn't happen. So. Uh, he's, he's flirted with, you know, going up and down in white, but yeah, they're saying, uh, now I believe their official position was, let's see him at 140. Let's see that we don't have any kind of issues here. And then maybe we'll consider it, uh, for the future. But, uh, it was an interesting fight and kind of, uh, you know, kind of sobering to see a guy who only a couple of years ago was being talked about as one of the best pound for pound fighters on the planet. Uh, sitting there at yeah. a number thirteen ranking, and not even the feature bout on the uh, no. on the undercard. No, I mean that's why right now that's why I'm picking up my phone, looking mm-hmm. at it, going, you know, ever since his his, his scraps with uh, TJ, it seemed like he just t- took a nosedive. Uh, he did have the one loss right afterwards with Jeremy Stevens, and then you know he came back and, and bounced back with Philip Novera. But that's right. I mean, I'm sure I can find it right here, but. Didn't he like win like thirty fights in a row? Oh yeah, before uh, before Dillashaw, he had an incredible thirty-two win streak. St- f- straight fights. Yeah, yeah he yeah. won. He had he lost his first fight and thirty-one victories going yep. over a span of nine years. And then Uriah, I remember the fight with uh, Uriah Faber. Mm-hmm. He just completely dismantled Faber in one round. Like just, I mean, and Faber never gets destroyed like that. I mean, Faber at that point, it, you know, it lost fights, you know, you know, to to you know uh, Jose Aldo, but it was a five round, you know, uh, contest. Lost a decision. I had never seen anybody basically just run him over uh, like that. That you know, basically he ran into a beast in Hennon, and it wasn't until you know, and then that's why, in fact, their first fight with T.J. Dillashaw. I thought for sure, I'm like, all right, well, you know, we've seen what he did to your, your coach. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, uh, you're going to get destroyed too. And TJ came out and just basically, you know, 
destroyed him in two rounds, switching stances, coming forward. And in both fights, basically just, you know, really took him apart. And I didn't know if Hennon ever really recovered from that mentally. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, uh, of course, there's more fights than that, yeah. even on the card. But that's, uh, the, there's uh, the main card plus a couple of honorable mentions there. And I think uh, Saturday night's fight is, uh, I mean, this is one of these cards, Frank, that, You're gonna you know, be there, right? I'm going to go. Uh, this is so, one of these. Go ahead. No, no I was just going to say, this is one of those fight cards that if you have, you know, you have the casual fan who maybe only watches one or two fights a year. Sometimes I'll get the call from, hey, is this one I should buy? Is this one I should buy? This is one of those where I go, yeah, I get this one. Go ahead and get this one. I'll bet there's going to be something on oh, there yeah, at least that's going to make you feel like it's uh, worth the cash. Yep, I'm going to make sure I watch this one. Yeah. Um, that's what I was all saying. If you're going to go out in L.A., I want you to make sure you run into Shaw. But I've been texting him back and forth. So we yes. Can- yes. We, uh, uh, we are aware. In fact, I was made aware at Disneyland of uh, the, the, the controversy that had uh, uh, started to brew online between uh, – some listeners of ours and some listeners of Fighter and the Kid, maybe listeners of both or whatever, but uh, basically uh, stemming around Frank's comments about uh, uh, Brendan, you know, taking the pro Connor position on the Showtime broadcast, and you know he's employed by Showtime. You were saying to you know present the pro Connor opinion, right? Uh, but some, I think, some of the listeners thought that it was uh, a little more aggressive than that. So no, no, all I was saying is, I mean, come on, think about it. You know, people are like, oh, well, you know, uh, you know, um, Brendan is saying this, Brendan's saying that. I'm all, he's getting paid by Showtime. I mean, could you imagine that, you know, if right now someone came out and said, hey, Frank, you know, we want you to help promote this, go out there. Uh, am I going to sit there and go, nah, that fight's going to suck? <laughs> you're going to sit there and Be- try to argue. Yeah, because, gonna- because you are of the mindset that no – this is just a Brendan thing, because I, from what I've heard you say, I think you're you're of the mindset that that a, a professional fighter has to recognize that this is going to be a blowout if they're being honest. Yeah, I Would think that everybody is pretty much in the knowing the knowledge that if this fight occurs just how it should, and both guys contest this fight, fighting to win the fight, that it's a boxing match against a guy that's never boxed professionally in his life. There's no chance. I mean, and even, you know, things people, someone told me like, well, you know, Connor trains with boxing gloves on. I'm like, well, kickboxers kickbox with boxing gloves on. And not a lot of them make crossovers and had very high profile, successful boxing careers because once again, it's a different animal. That being said, though, when I was exchanging texts with Brendan to try to get us both, you know, like, hey, man, you either come on my show or you go on my show because he was laughing because at first he said, I was like, hey, man, I heard about this Twitter stuff going back Mm -hmm. and forth. He goes, yeah, people are saying that you said the UFC Said I, they paid me I'm like no no I said Showtime no no the UFC yeah yeah the, it, it's gonna be uh, a I think a cold day in hell at this point for the UFC yeah, is yeah, paying yeah. Brendan Shaw so, and then yeah. but but then I did tell him this that I'm like actually the more I've talked about this fight yeah. I think I already I kind of alluded this to you a little bit I don't think that it's in Mayweather's best interest to win the fight yes you I'm really would not be shocked now and again I'm not saying that Connor could beat Mayweather I'm just saying Mayweather would be probably behooved to make sure that something lands and he puts his glove on the ground and can't recover you know because I mean think about it. he comes out here three or four rounds five rounds puts on a boxing clinic with Connor shows everybody that yes 
He's the professional boxer versus a non-professional boxer. This is what happens. But then all of a sudden, like now they allow the Superman punch. It's written in that that's one MMA move that's allowed. So now Connor jumps up, throws a Superman punch, an unorthodox move that Mayweather has not necessarily trained for. Mm. He gets stunned. He gets caught. He puts his glove on the mat, and all of a sudden, fuck, fight's over with. Now they have to fight a second time and a third time. If you're Mayweather, I mean, think about it. If you go out there and slap the shit out of Connor, which he's more than capable of doing, it's one and done. How do you create a second fight? And Mayweather, like you said, you've pointed out to me, and I wasn't really that aware of it until, you know, uh, this fight, he's not making as much money as people think he's going to make because he owes so much fucking money. Right. And he already has an elaborate lifestyle. The guy's 40 years old. How many times is he going to be able to make a super fight like this? Like, who's on the docket? Who's next? No one. There's no boxer he can do this with. That's why he's came over here and he's he's tapped into the the MMA uh, money uh, tree. And so now it's Connor. Well, if you go out there and you bust the myth that Connor's created that he actually could win this fight. Yeah. Um how do you make a second and third fight? I, I guess you could sit there and somehow there is an alternative narrative where you sit there and now Connor can go out there and go, well, I fought you as a man in your realm. You know, uh, now you got to fight me in mine. And now they maybe make a kickboxing match where it's not necessarily a full blown MMA fight, but somehow can create a second fight. So, I mean, there is that out there, but I think the most, uh, you know, most probable, or I want in my little conspiracy theory brain is going. I'm like, shit, if he's making 200 million for this one, what would he make Mayweather in a rematch? If Connor, like I laid out, catches him, let's say, and all of a sudden Mayweather can't answer up the standing eight count, you know, puts his glove down, touches, takes a knee, and then now he's wobbled by an unorthodox punch that he's not used to. So now there's the storyline on why it happened. You know, it's arguing that he's still the better boxer, but he got caught by some freaky MMA stuff that was allowed. Wizardry. Wizardry, right? (laughs) So now all of a sudden, like, whatever he made this fight, he's making at least 50% more in a rematch. Mm -hmm. So if let's say he's making 150, 200 million for this fight. That's 300 million he's probably making in a rematch. Easily, right? What a compelling story. Then there's a rubber match, which probably is even 400 million. So that being said, Mayweather, who's not an idiot, I mean, he's all about the money. There's at least $700 million that he will lose if he wins the fight. You're a fighter, and I'm telling you, hey, buddy, if you win, you give up $700 million. How hard are you going to get up if you get hit? Mm. How? I mean, I'm not necessarily he's going to take a dive and, and something's going to whiz by his head and he's going to, you know, go to the ground mm-hmm. because that's fraud. You know, I mean, and that's fucking, you know, because there's betting. Like, that's a huge issue. And it's not like he's a criminal. No, no. no. <laughs> nice. But, you know, if he gets hit with something that kind of hurts, there's nothing saying that he has to try hard. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's no rule that says, well, you didn't. I mean, there's nothing illegal as far as I know, and maybe there is. I could be wrong as far as him having to try his hardest. He could go well, out How there. do you prove that? Yeah, how do you prove? Well, you could have absorbed that shot and got up. Yeah. I don't know, fuck. It's a Superman punch. I've never seen it before. Yeah. I mean, and Connor does hit hard, and people putting that narrative out there that he could just take one. So it's there. It's there for the taking, you know, and then he comes back and wins the next two. That's a lot of fucking money. Frank uh, chose the Disney character breakfast as the location to unveil this explosive theory. I mean, it was very, it was like a weird dream you had because it was like, I dreamt that Frank had this really wild theory on how the McGregor Mayweather fight was going to go. 
And there were all these Disney characters dancing around the table while he was explaining it. But it wasn't a dream. It was real. Just to uh, punctuate the, the Brendan Schaub aspect of this, though, uh, we, we were all discussing it and uh, the principals. And, uh, you know, Brendan's, Brendan asserts, and he said this on his own podcast on Big Brown Breakdown, that his opinions are his own. Yeah. He's not being swayed. You know, he's not being scripted. Yeah, maybe he's, he's not. not That's being why I want to talk to him. Showtime I just to figured one that way or another. Brendan is... You know, I mean, Brendan trains MMA, so and mm-hmm. Brendan is such a smart guy that I'm assuming he thinks the same way I do. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's why I want to talk to him about it. Maybe we can come on the I, air and I can sit there and go, okay. Yeah. Uh, and 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 again, I'm not saying that at any point does someone go, okay, if you say this, we're going to pay you X amount of money. I just figured that Brendan is sitting there and he's looking around, going, okay, as a as a broadcaster and you're talking to the manager or the, you know, the, the production crew and, and the promoters, you kind of know what direction they want you to go. It's like, all right, I can see where this is going. Like, I mean, could you imagine if you go on Fox news and they have you on their ESPN and they go, okay, how do you think this fight's going to go? Even if in your brain, you're like, I think it's going to suck. Why would you pay to watch this fight? You're probably not going to get paid to show up again. Mm-hmm. You have to, even if in your personal opinion, you're like, oh, these two guys, these two guys are going to, ru-, you know, if we're talking an MMA fight, are going to wrestle their fucking asses off. It's going to be fucking boring and it's like watching paint dry. You know, it's like the uh, uh, Phil Davis and um, um, Ryan Bader. Ryan Bader. If you're being told to talk about that, if I'm like, hey, Frank, we're going to pay you X amount of money, we want you to break this fight down. I'm probably going to make it very colorful because your pants are like, all right, let me try to, mm-hmm. you know, try to sell this a little bit. You know what I mean? But if you pull me to the side amongst my, and we're all sitting here and go, Hey, what do you think that fight's going to be? I'm like, fuck time to go to the bathroom. You know what I mean? Like that, I'm going to aim that for the opportunity for me to go find a beer because that fight is going to suck. It's going to be so boring. Do you see the first one? Both are the same fighter and it's going to just, their styles are not meant to make an exciting fight. Both guys are great fighters, but they are horrible dance partners that you will never want to see fight in your life well yeah and it's also you know brendan if if he is put in the he is definitely i think he would agree that he's put in the role to represent MMA. Yeah. He's the MMA fighter. Polly Malinaji is the boxer. Yeah, I mean, that's and what the guy I'm in the so middle they is They bring neither. in the MMA guy and you're sitting there going, I mean, could you imagine if Brendan, I mean, would say, Yeah, our guy's gonna get his ass kicked. That's gonna be shitty. I I don't even know why you're gonna pay for this. Like <laughs> Well, yes, know. but the case that he's making for McGregor are plausible points. If yeah. you say, Well, Floyd's had trouble with left handers, McGregor yeah. has power, McGregor's Well, I think younger. I even heard him McGregor- say that they say you know he's gonna win at least a round or something. I'm like well, and the cool part about that, I was like, oh, that's smart, Brendan, is because if a fi- if one of the rounds just kind of is close because Mayweather's not doing anything, yep. you can sit there and go, see, there was the round he won. It's like, well, fuck, the, the judges can't even agree on rounds. I mean, well, so who I- knows, I mean, what you're saying, what round and who's going to win. And, and look, Brendan Schaub is the smartest guy I've ever met when it comes to business that has ever fought full contact MMA. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he's a smart businessman, even for not being in that category. I mean, we've talked to him as far yeah. as like putting stuff together, sponsorships. Fuck man. I'm thinking about trying to make him my manager. Like the guy yeah. really has his shit down more than most people I've ever met in my life. And on top of that, as far as somebody who actually used to fight, he, he, all of us are idiots compared to him in that in that world, mm-hmm. business wise. The guy is a genius. You know what I mean, yeah. I mean, well, and and the case that he's he's making, like I said, I think is 
is is plausible enough. Like to even say that that he thinks Connor can win around. I'll tell you how Connor could win around. Now, now I'm of the same mindset as you that this is a one sided fight. And Mayweather win. Okay, but I do not believe for one second that we might not see a lopsided lackluster 12-round defensive decision victory from Floyd Mayweather. I think he could finish him for sure, but I don't know that he's going to want to run the risk of finishing him because he he hasn't done that for the last 10 years. If he gets caught, he makes seven hundred million. No, no, no. <laughs> well, no, I know. I mean, your your theory notwithstanding. I mean, I'm just saying conventional. I got seven hundred million yeah. reasons why he no, wants to make I, a risk. I'm just saying. No, I get that, but I'm just saying conventional thinking would be if Mayweather looks at it and he's you know he gets the lay of the land in the fight and he goes, oh, I can do this for twelve rounds, be my you know defensive self, win a fight, no problem, hands down. Or if I'm gonna take a risk, try to finish this guy and end up being on the the uh, short side of the biggest upset in sports history, it's really going to suck. So I, with all of that being said, where Brennan would say, well, I think Connor can win around. Okay, I get that. I Not not Mayweather going 100%, he can't. But yeah, if yeah. there's a spot no, where he I takes agree. a round off or coasts on a lead yeah, or whatever, okay. Mayweather's been known just to just not do shit for a round or two. Just You've kinda... seen plenty of rounds where it's like, okay, we have to give this to someone. Yeah, right. Well, let's go ahead and just give it. Yeah. 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 100%. So, so all of that being said, I don't think he's saying anything that's like, Oh my God, you must be. No, 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 but, no. but, uh, that, that's, that's certainly the, you know, he's there to represent MMA, just like, uh, yeah. Malinaji's there to represent boxing. So the, but the, the, the thing is, is that, uh, you guys were talking and we're, of course we love doing fire and the kid anyway. So we're about due for a return engagement. So uh, there was talk about that, right? Like, yeah, that's why I was going back and forth. Well, first I opened it up saying the Twitter thing, yeah, and then he goes, "What?" You know, like at first he responded yeah. back like, "What?" I'm like, "Dude, fuck, I don't know." Yeah. You know, I don't do the tweet shit. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I'm getting my shit from fucking uh, Travis at, to fan- Richard. Like, I'm come at on, Phantasma, and I'm trying to pay attention to what Mickey Mouse is saying, yeah, like, and Richard's in my ear about so what people are like, saying oh, yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, the UFC thing, but that, I thought that was yeah. funny. Where he's like, "Yeah, they saying that UFC said I, you know, you pay." I'm like, "No, man, I didn't say that." It's yeah. fucking showtime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so either uh, either in the near uh, future, we'll have Brendan on here. We'll be on Fire and the Kid yeah. or both or whatever. And uh, you can and uh, I, talk and about that. I actually let thing. him know my whole Mayweather theory. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. So I'm sure he'll... Uh, He'll he'll want to hear more about that. So anyway, that's a that's a catch up on that. So as I said, uh, uh, we were getting wind of this while we were at Disneyland. So we went to Disneyland uh, the last couple of days, um, and you uh, you took a longer route to get there than I did. I just went straight from Las Vegas to L.A. Frank, you went from Las Vegas. My luggage still isn't here. To yeah, to uh, you were like in. Chechnya or something for Turkey. Yeah, no. First, uh, well, I, I left you? that following week. I yeah. took off. We did the ACB, and uh, I, I first flew into Manchester. Yep. Uh, and then because the flights didn't match up exactly, I had to stay there for a day and a half, which was fine. Uh, I met up with Paul King, you know, and then uh, you know, and uh, uh, we got to work out with uh, uh, Carl Prince, who you know uh, got a little bit of training in. And so then uh, Tuesday of that week. I flew, no, no, Wednesday. So Wednesday, I finally, Tuesday, Tuesday, I flew into uh, Antalya. You can see the problem. You yeah, can see Turkey. what's happening here. Yeah. So then I, I got there like, you know, at three in the morning on Wednesday, you know, went to sleep. And then that night did the show. 
uh, the, it was Turkey's first uh, professional mixed martial arts event. Right. Up until that point, it had been banned or not sanctioned and not legal. And so hopefully now Turkey, you know, is going to, you know, have more of an influence or influx of their MMA community. And so uh, because there'll be an interest there, it'll draw it in. Mm -hmm. uh, and then following that fight, then I flew into Manchester and then drove over to Sheffield to have, a, it was a great ACB event, uh, me and Brian Lacey of the uh, One Punch uh, broadcast uh, there. Uh, we got to call some incredible fights. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the light heavyweight finale was uh, uh, for the title was uh, an incredible dispute, a display of a, an up and coming fighter that I think that's going to be somebody that's going to be on the radar. But, and then from that, I, I took off Sunday and uh, uh, thought I was flying home. So I get to the airport, uh, British Airways oversold my flight, and I already had taken the first leg of the trip. First, I had to drive in the middle of the night from Sheffield to Manchester, took a flight early morning from Manchester to London, so my luggage is checked to going to, uh, mm -hmm. to Las Vegas. Uh, why I'm now in London, I, I get notified at the gate that uh, they oversold their flight, and so... Uh, um, you know, uh, I wasn't flying out to the next day. And then obviously meeting you and the family out there, that wasn't going to be conducive to my plans. So they were able to get me on a United flight that was leaving in two more hours. That was uh, another direct flight, which uh, no big deal. That seemed okay. You know, not, not too inconvenient, uh, except for the, my, I still don't know where my luggage is. They're still looking for it because <laughs> they were supposed to take my luggage off the British Airways flight and British Airways never gave it to the United uh, company. So, uh, um, it's still searching for it. <laughs> yes. So uh, then I f was supposed to fly in United. So then I go from one terminal to the next, go through security, do the whole gambit. I get over there and they notify me that why was I given that flight? That flight was canceled. So British Airways basically booked me on a flight that was already canceled. But I mean, in their, I guess in their mindset, he's going to have to go all the way to another terminal and go through security. He's probably not coming back for us. <laughs> I don't know, you know. So I get over there. I'm like, oh, you're kidding me, right? So they're like, oh, the, that flight will be tomorrow. I'm like, well, well, shit. Now I'm in the same boat again. I'm going to have yeah. to call the wife up and tell her that I'm missing Disneyland. And uh, her and the kids are out there and just with you, you know. <laughs> and yeah. so uh, and so at that point, the lady saw my distress, that I was a little upset about the situation. And um, she was very accommodating and uh, was able to try to figure out. And then, you know, and obviously at that point, too, I was like, all right, look, however, she goes, well, we have no more direct flights. I'm like, OK, I was flying to Vegas and then I was going to take another flight to LAX or to John Wayne uh, was the airport I wanted to go to. I'm like, at this point, you get me anywhere in those three, I don't care yeah. how we figure this out. So I was, you know, under the, you know, I made the commitment that, that look, dude, however we got to get this connections, you know, as long as I can get there before uh, Monday morning at 8 a.m., mm -hmm. let's get this done. So then she was able to find me a flight from uh, London to the, the Washington Duelist Airport, basically, you know, D.C. And then I caught another connecting flight from there to LAX. The wife picked me up at like 3 in the morning and drove me to the airport or drove me back to the hotel. And then even that flight got a little hairy there. Uh, we board the plane. You know, I, I get there. You know, it seems like it's going to be okay. But this time I've already been up since I didn't go to sleep after the show because I had to jump in a car and drive. So I've been up since Saturday morning and now it's Sunday night. And, um, you know, we boarded the plane and uh, 
I fell asleep immediately against the, the window and then I get shaken by the, the, the flight attendant that, you know, we have to disembark. And I knew there was storms there cause they'd have rerouted us already. You know, we had to take a different flight path to land to begin with. So I was like, Oh shit, tell me the flight's not getting canceled. So they're like, no, the storm has delayed certain flights. So now, you know, pilots, you know, uh, not, you know, here in time so about an hour and a half later i finally was able to get on the plane and take off and by the time i landed they didn't have my luggage by that point you know i was like you know uh, we'll figure it out later you know and so you know the next day called up tried to figure out what was going on and that was my experience getting to disneyland well fortunately your wife brought your whole disney wardrobe so you had she stuff did. to well, wear we, once she you was were already under the well we knew I'd have a luggage full of dirty clothes. Yeah. And so she, uh, yeah, she already had that taken care so of. So we meet you guys there on Monday. Now, uh, I, boy, this was, um, this was a high level experience. You know, it, it's like this. I, I, my girlfriend and I went to Disneyland, uh, last September for my birthday. That was the first time I'd ever been. And we got the two day park hopper pass. Cause there's two parks at Disneyland. There's Disneyland. There's also, uh, California, California. adventure, right? Yep. And you get this two day park hopper pass, which means you can bounce back and forth from one park to the next or just right across the walkway from each other for two days. We did that last time. Um, and so we, we were, we bought those same tickets again, but, but, Here's what I wasn't prepared for was the the first day that we were there because we had the guided tour set up for the second day. More on that in a second. But uh, the first day was devoted uh, exclusively to shows and shopping. And let me tell you something about this shopping. All right. You know, this. the only thing I can compare it to, Frank, is like, you know how we both train jiu-jitsu but you're at a much higher level than I am. Right. And so when you show me some moves sometime, I'm like, wow, that is some serious black belt level stuff. That's what it looked like watching your wife lead my girlfriend in shopping. I was looking at it going, I've seen her shop before, but this, this is scary stuff. This is extremely high level technical shopping ability. So much so that I feared too much exposure you know i feared i was like hey that's a secret to success just ask stan lee what's that stan lee one time in an interview and i sat there and was like, maybe i laugh uh, he said this they were asking him you know one of the secrets to his success uh -huh. you know, the creator of spider-man and you know basically the powerhouse uh, one of the, the main driving factors in creative minds and, and marvel uh they asked him you know secret to success type question and it was like well behind every successful man is a woman who spends all his money. <laughs> mm, that keeps him motivated. That's right. You got to keep ahead of the curve, man. <laughs> well, serious shopping was done uh, on uh, Monday, and then Tuesday was going to be devoted to rides. Now, our cast was, I, I brought uh, I brought my Jennifer along. You had yours, and then you had the three kids. One of the kids had a friend. Yep. Uh, and then, uh, Britta came who takes care of the kids and she had a little, she brought her own kid that was a niece. niece. Yep. yep. So it was a, it was, it was a, a traveling party of uh, 10, I think. 10 of us. Yeah. yeah. And so the second day we get a, uh, a guided, uh, tour of Disneyland. Now this was, was truly a remarkable experience. First we started, uh, we did the, uh, the character breakfast at, uh, 
the Grand Californian, uh, which is where you guys were staying. We got to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Ian, because yes. he he listens to the podcast. He's uh, he's always your waiter at uh, Grand California. Yeah, he was our guy there. Good guy. I've always, uh, in fact, he was, we've had him here uh, while we were taping. Yeah, he was in the bunker. I tell you what, he took care of me because as as incredible as Disneyland is, they're not known for their advertised vegan options. But he had a word with the chef. I don't know if he went to Mickey directly with this or he what. He pulled some strings. Yeah, you he had did. some vegan stuff pulled out that I don't, and I actually got to see the look on yours and Jennifer's face. Yes. Your Jennifer. Yes. The way he made the omelets yeah. with hash brown instead of eggs and, yeah. and vegetables and just, I'm looking at him like, have you ever seen that? She's all, no. I'm like, and I even told Ian, I'm like, dude, that's impressive because your Jen is, is pretty much a gourmet yes. chef when it comes to preparing vegan entrees. Yes. And uh, for her to not to see something or know of a trick I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, stick with me, kid. You yep, know? yep. We got the the Mickey Mouse waffles that uh, were were vegan waffles, but shaped like Mickey Mouse. It was fantastic. So anyway, we had a great breakfast there. Uh, we uh, got some FaceTime with Pluto. Uh, we saw Chip and Dale, and this was interesting because either Chip or Dale, I'm not sure which is which. I can't tell them apart, but one of them was clearly a big Frank Mir fan. Yeah. He was very excited to see you, and I was thinking that if you're the guy in the suit, how bad that sucks in that moment because you're meeting somebody you like, but you can't talk as the character. Yeah. So the guy's doing all this this pantomiming motion, like he's he's sort of doing this bow to you, and then he's making big muscles, and you guys took a picture where you're making muscles together and stuff like that. But uh, either Chip or Dale. Uh, we have to look a, back at the pictures. I don't know. Yeah. If it's the red nose, it's Dale. Yeah. Oh, is that? I didn't know how you tell oh, yeah. them apart. Okay. Uh, Dale has the big red nose, and okay. Chip has just the. the yeah. oh, okay, I see. And then right in the middle of all this, Frank is laying out his Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather conspiracy theory. We had a lot of balls in the air at that breakfast. There was a lot going on. <laughs> That's a normal conversation for me, though. That's how yeah. we are. Like, we sit there, yeah, we're, exactly. we're talking a little bit about Trump or overseas yeah. and currency <laughs> exchange right. rates. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, yeah. philosophy, fighting, breaking someone's arm yeah. and I think I talked about some situations that occurred to me when I was in Manchester I'm using it as a teachable moment to my children yeah. about when it's appropriate to be violent not appropriate to be violent you know right. so yeah we got a whole lot of things going on so then uh, we get ready to do our tour now here's the deal with the tour we were talking about this uh, previously on the show but now that I've experienced it firsthand, I can I can provide an account so if you want to do a VIP tour of Disneyland you can go and pay a tour guide an extremely large amount of money to uh, to to take you around the park. Uh, it's like a minimum of like seven hours or eight hours, six, uh, six hour minimum, six, yeah. six hour minimum. Yeah, it's, okay, it's close to about four hundred dollars an hour. Okay, and then what they'll do is they will walk you up to each ride, and you can because you're getting this tour, you can get right in the fast pass fast line. Fast pass, that's correct. Yeah. Now the fast pass is a sort of express lane type scenario yeah, they 10 have at to Disneyland. Wait. Yeah, it's never longer than that, no. and uh, that that actually we benefited from the first time we went. Uh, so so that in and of itself would be pretty cool, but they have a deal. Where uh, if you're somebody that or uh, you know Chip or Dale is going to be distracted by, uh, like uh, like Frank, if the big fight fans and you know people are going to want to stop and take pictures stuff like that, they give you a black card. Apparently, when you become a celebrity, you get two black cards: one from Amex and one from Disneyland. And what that entitles you to do, Frank, is at that point, the tour guide can take you 
around the back of yeah. the ride. So what we were doing is our tour guide, because of this this stat, and to put this in, let me put this picture. Well, it's because if you become a distraction, and I and I wasn't aware of this, I found out inadvertently, and I think we've talked about yeah. it on the show. If you go to Disneyland, and the way they look at it is, if you're a known, you know, a figure. And, uh, you know, I, I take pictures with my fans. If someone still stopped and t- it's not yeah. like you were blowing them up. You took plenty of pictures. No, but that th- day. what happens yeah. is that if I stop somewhere to be in line, then other people start cutting the line and it upsets people because now people are walking up to want to take a picture with me. And then it becomes very because I'm standing in one area for too long, you know, yeah. five to 10 minutes. It creates a, uh, a situation to where, you know. I'll probably get four or five fans, six, seven, eight, you know, mm-hmm. that actually know who I am taking a picture, but it ends up turning into 30 to 40 people want to take pictures within that five to 10 minute period because all it is is that people see me take a picture with somebody and even if they don't know who I am, they're like, well, you're obviously somebody, can I have a picture with you? Mm. And I, so then about 80% of the photos come from people that have no clue, they don't follow the sport. Yeah. And it was funny because we were sitting there and actually at one point I was sitting outside the uh, the new ride that was the old Screaming Tower, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, right. And at that point, Jennifer was shopping, so I had no problem, you know, not that I have a problem ever, but I'm sitting there and I'm taking pictures with people outside, you know, and, and, and one guy was like, can I, you know, a screen, he took a picture with me and then he sat down next to me and he goes, well, is this you? I mean, obviously, and he showed me a picture of a boxer that kind of looked like me and I looked at him, but I mean, the guy looked like he weighed 140 pounds. I'm like, oh, yeah. you're not good at size assessment. <laughs> yeah. I haven't weighed that since I was like four. Yeah. But, and so, uh, you know, so it was funny. So that the guy like, you know, didn't even let on that he didn't know who I was. He just, everybody else is taking a picture with you. Can I have a picture with you? And it's just yeah. strange how people do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jennifer was telling me that uh, actually going on Halloween is one of the nice times to go with you because uh, everybody wears costumes. Yeah. And so you're just painted all green and people assume you're the guy playing the Hulk. Yeah, you that know? helps. They probably still want to take a picture, but they don't realize who it's with. So, and actually, Jennifer does my makeup in one year. Yeah. We're going to have to post it up on the the, the, the uh, fight site or our phone booth fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Instagram is that she did my makeup. We and we always go as a family as a theme, and we went that year. I think is Alice in Wonderland. So yeah. I did my she did my makeup like uh, uh, um, the Mad Hatter. Yeah, the, what was it? What's his name? Uh, the, the he does the pirate too. Uh, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. Like so I, his version. That of version that. of yeah, the Mad yeah. Hatter. So you know, I had the hat and face full white. Yeah. And so no one was recognizing. And then I had uh, this couple stopping. Oh, can we get a picture? I'm like. Oh shit! You, you you can see through my makeup, and then they look at me like I'm like, what? No, you look cool. I'm like, oh, fuck! I feel dumb. Yeah. They had no clue who I was. They just wanted a picture because Jennifer done such a good job yeah. with my makeup. Yeah. <laughs> They're probably so, thinking like, what kind of fucking weirdo are you? Yeah. You think we want to take a picture with you? No. So so it's uh it's 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 not Halloween. So uh, no one's in costume. So anyway, we're uh, so because of that, this this guy because you got this uh, this stat this black card thing will take you and to, to to put it in perspective, Travis, the the celebrities that morning doing this were Frank and Sandra Bullock. <laughs> so that's that tells you the company was in. you just you just missed Sandra Bullock I because did. she was uh, uh, getting set up right before you guys arrived at our uh, rendezvous point. Yeah, and but, at times it's funny because the other celebrities that are on the tours sometimes yeah. the tour guides will ask you know, hey, do you want to you know I'm with so and so. Do you want, you know, and so I think one of the times I was there, like I got to meet, uh, not because he was a fan, but Pierce Bronson's kids were with him. Like, oh shit, Frank Mears here. So then his tour guide asked my tour guide, like, hey, can, and we met up by like the, uh, 
the Matterhorn. Like, hey, oh. there's a little area there. Can we, you know, hang out? The kid, would you mind? Like, ah, fuck, of course not. I'll take a picture with his kids, but mm-hmm. I want a picture with him. Sure, you, know? you have your tour guides broker a meeting. <laughs> they did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a bummer though when you uh, when you say, yeah, 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 I'll totally meet that person. Then the response comes back, ah, we're good. We'll pass. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> they're, not, they're not answering their radio. Save <laughs> yeah, my right, feelings, right. man. Please. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so we take off on this tour. Now, here's the amazing part about it: was you go from they, they, the tour guide walks you right through like the employees only. They call it say it says cast members only. You go right through these doors. They take you around the backs of the ride. Not only do they put you right on the ride, you don't even see the people who are in line to get on the ride. Like, next thing you know, you are just sitting in a car waiting for the uh, the ride to take off. And as soon as you're done with that, you tell them the next one you want to go to, and they walk you right to that one, and they put you right on that ride. It was incredible. I mean... One of the advantages to causing a distraction. Yes. We went through the entire park, every single ride, for the most part, uh, in that seven, eight-hour span. Now we Both brought- parks. Both parks, that's right. Now, we brought some photos. We have a little uh, slideshow here. Now, first of all, this uh, the the show, the image for this episode that you're looking at right here, that's Frank and I with uh, Chewbacca. Okay, we'll go back to that one. Uh, yeah, here we go. That's because uh, uh, Disney owns everything now. So they bought uh, Star Wars, which means they have all the Star Wars characters. So we did the meet and greet. That's you and I with uh, Chewbacca there. In the uh, where where are we at on the set of there? Where would Chewbacca be hanging out? Do you know? Not necessarily at the set, but that's their what they call um, shit. That area that they do all the comic book stuff now that Marvel, uh, but they also have Star Wars there. So they do like you can. uh, In the past, we've met. You know, they they have the different uh, actors will do uh, appearances, so you can meet the different characters of that realm. So everywhere from you know. Captain America, Thor, to now you know, uh, you know Darth Vader, yeah. Chewbacca, um, uh, Kylo Ren. I think we got to meet last time. It was pretty cool because his voice was activated upon hand postures, and hmm. you know, it, it was a really cool setup. So here's and the a- actors are top notch. Remember yeah. Thor uh, from Disneyland? We got to meet him. Uh, uh, blew my mind. Right? Oh right. yeah, babe, come sit down. Oh yeah, we just in time for for a Disney see- recap. Jennifer and uh, Bella, Bella, I think, are coming in. We got we got uh, uh, something to talk to Bella about here in a second too. Come on in, guys. Hang on, let me. Case or we got Britta. <laughs> Bring the crew in. There's just Mel. All right, there you go. Okay. Yeah, let's get the headphones there. Britta, babe, do you know that area that we go to that has the characters? It, it, it's the old. Uh, it's. It's over there by the Autobahn in Tomorrowland. Yeah, it's by Space Mountain and all that. Yeah, right? what's it's in Tomorrowland, but now it's called. But now it's called. Okay, so good let's grab microphones stops? there. Are they? Well, no, 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 no. you're gonna make sure you're back of your head. The back of your head's not blocking the, the camera. Okay, yeah, fair, but yeah, we're we're good there. We're so good. there's a microphone there, and there's uh, I believe Mel's got your microphone over there, Jennifer. All right, so we got a little uh, we got a little slideshow here. Uh, you can help guide us through the slideshow. If you're watching our... Uh, our headphones are hot. You turn them down. If you're uh, watching our video feed on our uh, Phone Booth Fighting YouTube channel, you can see the photos. Now, this is a picture of uh, us, Frank, with Darth Vader and yes. uh, the whole group. Now, we I, I was going to tell you, uh, I didn't get a chance to visit with uh, Ronan about his thoughts on this, but he was clearly... <laughs> 
being recruited by both sides of the galaxy. Darth Vader singled him out as somebody he wanted to bring over to the dark side. And then I also noticed that uh, Chewbacca's uh, handlers were talking to him about joining the rebellion. So, Jennifer, any idea where he's coming down? It was like watching a, a blue chipper get recruited by colleges. You know, uh, any idea where he's coming down on this so far? Which way he's leaning? Darth Vader. Yeah. I think Darth Vader scared him. Did you see how red his face was? He did. Well, I think being singled out just made him nervous. And, I mean, look, his costume was amazing. Yeah. yeah. No, no these guys are just, they're awesome. I mean, they talk about, like, you go in there, they're experienced. Uh, they stay in character and just, yeah. uh, you, you feel like you're in the movie whenever you're getting to meet one of the actors. Yeah. That's a great picture. It is a good picture. Was this the one on your guys's? No, these Car? these are all the Disney. The fast pass, or no, yeah, the, the photo pass. Photo these pass. are all the Disney. Pass. I was yeah, say, from your photo pass. A, the, attention to detail, right down to making sure there's flattering lighting for uh, the family. Everybody so looks nicer except for you. This. Look like you're taking your photo at the you know the, the DMV, <laughs> or even just like that's your DUI picture. Yeah. Right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's up there, man? Jen's photo check. I don't think DMV. Like, I was happy. thinking more like look um, at the smiles and then. I was thinking yeah. more like his arrest photo. Yeah, yeah I was saying like that. We're, That's we're, my expression. Like this is going to be all over TMZ. That's that uh, <laughs> look. Yeah. Look at Jen though. Jen was like cheesing the whole. Oh, she's oh, she, so she might have been the most enthusiastic about the whole she, situation. She Jennifer so was fun. so happy. The next day, it was like a adrenaline dump. Like she was like, she texted me. She's like. This just sucks. Like this day after, it's like a hangover. Like there's just, you know, you're just all. Well, she, and she know. texted me when we had just got to Storytellers. Yeah. And I had just got my plate of Mickey waffles. So I took oh, the picture I and I sent that. it to her and I said, missing you. I saw that. Yeah. I know. I know. All right. Let's uh, see the next photo here. Okay. Now this is Space <laughs> Mountain. Uh, clearly two different expression, two different levels of concern between myself and Frank. Uh, Frank's there in the Which back. Which guy of the do you car. think is driven a motorcycle at yeah. miles an hour? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The guy. Uh, I looked a lot more concerned about this uh, big hill we're going to go down than Frank does on Space Mountain. Now, a funny thing happened on Space Mountain, though. We uh, another thing that uh, that 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 Frank's uh, celebrity black card status affords you is you can uh, when the ride is done, if you want to go again. You just give them this signal. You do your little finger like this, like, let's go around again. And they, you don't have to get out of the car, and you just keep going. So, uh, loud. I, I gave Richard the knowledge. Hey, Rich, do you want to do that? Yeah. Yeah. So oh, we, did he get No, I gave, I gave it to him. I said, hey, Richie. Do the uh, he's all oh yes. Do the twirl. That's right. So we okay. so the funny thing is so the, so we get done with the first ride. And, you know the car's coming to a stop and everything, and Frank is, is in the the seat behind me. So he's where he goes, hey, give him the give him the go around again. So uh, I do. I look at the uh, the guy and I gave him the little little twirl of the finger, and he gave the knowing nod. And I started to turn around and say something to Frank at that point. Frank goes, no 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 no, eyes ahead. He goes, I straightforward. This is where it gets awkward. He goes, everybody's going to look at you like, what the fuck? What's, what are you doing? What's going on? So uh, we just look straight ahead. Yeah, I don't ever have, know how to give people that look yet. Because, I mean, imagine, Travis, you're in line. You're next to go. Yeah. Already this guy came from a different direction. And if, if now there's obviously, I'm getting the, hey, Frank. So there's, you know, there's a few people in line that know who I am. But majority of the people don't so they just see this this dick just getting the car ahead of everybody and then he zips around so then you make your way up there and now it's your turn to go next the things unravel you know unlock and then all they do is they pull them right back down and no one gets <laughs> yeah. off so you're kind of looking around like 
the fuck is this shit? Right. <laughs> so eyes forward. You know what I mean? Like let the uh, let them explain what's going on. <laughs> right. Yeah, because it's like not only does he get to cut in line, but he gets to cut in line twice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's probably insult to injury when it's not even that guy doing it. It's the it's the minion up front that's doing the who's <laughs> you know what's that guy doing? All right. Well, to, to probably they're trying yeah. to figure out what rock band you're a part of. Maybe that. It's like, all right, man. Yeah. Is it Aerosmith in that? <laughs> Maybe that. Now, here we are on California Screaming. Oh, look at Ronan. And, uh, yep, Ronan's there in the uh, front, front seat. seat with Frank having a, having a good... You know, your kids, Frank, everybody braves the roller coasters. I got to tell you, I mean, as an adult, I enjoy the roller coasters, but I don't think when I was seven that I would just be like, you know, out of my way, I got to get on this death machine. <laughs> no, that's the one thing that I've passed on to my children that my wife probably is not the happiest trait that I've passed on. Is mm-hmm. that they're all adrenaline junkies. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Big time. Yeah, my kids, if you know, I mean, yeah. if everybody's jumping off a bridge, they're going first. This is my personal favorite ride, by the way, California Screaming. I like it, the roller coaster, but I also like the fact that it's on that boardwalk. And I like that. That's yeah. my favorite yeah, area, the way that whole nice. thing's set up. Uh, there oh, in, look uh, it. I love that. Yeah. Pic. Yeah. There's our uh, picture with Chewbacca. All right. Uh, now, again, oh here. God, look here, Richard. Uh, <laughs> this is on Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> and uh, the the formerly known as the Tower of Terror, and it's this it's an up and down ride. You're in this contraption in this cage, and it just goes up and down and drops you. And how many stories? What do you think that is? Five, oh, five, six stories. I don't know. Oh, probably probably more than that. I is think it's it? probably what ten stories, right? Okay, could be. Look yeah. It up. I'll so look it up uh, talking. so we got uh, the Mirror Kids, uh, uh, Bella and uh, uh, Cage. They're all smiles. Got our tour guide in the back. The Britta smiling. Uh, I have my Richard. eyes closed, and uh, you, it reminds me of the Dumb and Dumber scene. Yes, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, it's a 13 story drop. 13 stories. Well, then uh, the expression of terror. Yeah, the on my kids face are happy is here. Justified. Look at them. Yeah, they're laughing. Frank looks like he's having a conversation on a on a flight <laughs> with the guy next to him. While this is going, Ronan well, has his eyes covered. Well, because Roro, he well at, at one point because of he he's tall for his height, yeah, or for his age, excuse me, uh, and so he had already started doing this ride at three years of age. I remember sitting there trying to ask the other people, like it has to be amongst the younger of the individuals to have made the the forty inch or whatever the height. Oh, you're trying to verify him for a record? Yeah, just like, you know, yeah, come on. <laughs> Yeah, Look, dude, you know, yeah. competitive, you know. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, both Cage and Ronan were extremely young to do it. So he's has it down, holding on to it. Yeah. So I had let him know, like, hey, you know, don't hold on to the sides. It'll, yeah. it'll be more interesting. So we put our hands up, you know, and then. So I always still though, this is just the fatherly aspect of me. Is it? Yeah. I'm still like I have to touch. If you look in the other rides, my arms are never up. They're always touching my children. Yeah. Just because you know, like, it makes you feel better to know that they're you know to let them know that I'm here. Yeah. We're gonna do some scary, but Daddy's here to be here yeah so, you know so i had him let go of his hands but i think that freaked him out so uh, he ended up putting a, 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 a i see like he's covering i'm also too like i don't know maybe that was the light that was this point was it bright maybe he's covering up his face it uh, might be i'm gripping the uh the <laughs> oh handle God. so hard that it looks like i'm flexing and i'm not it looks like i'm doing some sort of douchebag pose but i'm not you yeah. know i'm just gripping them that tightly and again jen Pure happiness. Yes, yeah. This no, machine. so the funny story, I, yeah. I, think, I don't know if I, I, I think I told you when we got off, when we first did the uh, um, the flying over California, soaring, and now it's like soaring over the world, like it takes you everywhere. So we're in line, and you know, Jennifer doesn't like those rides, and they're asking, well, why? I'm like, oh, it's heights, it's enclosed area. So, you know, uh, Richard is letting me notify him, and Jen also don't really like 
heights per se, but as, as we're walking on to go get locked <laughs> up or like getting seat belted in and he goes, well, as long as we're not like, you know, you know, like, you know, Ferris wheel would scare me because like they take you up there and you're up there for a while. And your feet are dangling. And your feet yeah. are just dangling. Yeah. I kind of look at him like, oh, you're about to have a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm I mean, like, ooh, yeah. man, this is about to be, you know. Like, <laughs> I, I enjoyed that ride though. I was, I was, I was good with that. The crazy thing is of all the rides, the only one that scares me is the swings ride it's like a child's ride like you see it at a bunch of yeah, it's they like other there. type they of parks there, actually yeah no yeah. no i've ridden the it that's what i did that's the ride that's the one that that oh, frightened me i okay. actually don't like that uh that one the where the swing did you see that the in the news that changed. actually what was it, the next day yeah the guy died at the uh well, state fair or something yeah, in Ohio. Got launched. yeah. I, did you see the video no i haven't watched that yeah well yeah yeah we'll go back to it yeah yeah that sucks like that right there what frank is describing this is why those rides up at the top of the stratosphere in las vegas uh freak me out because i don't ever want to be in a situation where once i'm launched from it i've got enough time to have the cognitive thought of deeply regretting my decision (laughs) like you're gonna have a good four or five seconds there where you're like what a stupid well, idea! As long as I go on a company that I know has a lot of money, right? You know, right like I sit yeah. there, like if I were in a stratosphere and, I agree. and and get launched from it, like the whole thing, I'm gonna be like, oh, my kids are rich, you yeah. know, like <laughs> <laughs> made it. But that's what I'm sitting there going, that poor guy at the fair, you know, at, at a local fair. Yeah. You're not gonna. Your kids right. aren't gonna be able. To, I mean, how much money are you gonna sue them for? You know, what I mean, yes. like, uh, you got a hundred grand. You know, like, well, how much am I getting? Like, well, you're gonna own the whole thing. It's what like, do you well, mean how much is that? Bankruptcy. Like, well, thirty grand by the time you sell it for scrap metal. <laughs> oh you know what I mean? like, now here we are uh, talking to Darth Vader. Uh, this is, uh, I think, when he's uh, giving his pitch to Ronan. There, okay, on the Death Star deck of the Death Star. All right, now uh, let's keep looking there. What's next? Yeah, okay, that's our post shot again. Was that it? Did we go through them all? Yeah, we went through them all. Okay, very good. Well, that was that was an amazing time. And then we concluded it with, uh, we went to um, the Phantasma. We did uh, World of Color the first night, and then Phantasma the second night, which is like this big uh, visual spectacular yeah. That thing. Awesome. Yeah, that we went on and uh, had, a, had a good time doing that. I was so sore. From walking around. I mean, my hips were sore. Like, normally mm-hmm. your feet get sore from that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But it was so... Like, I remember Jennifer was telling me she was talking to our tour guide, Ronnie. And Ronnie was telling her... Because she wears a, a Apple Watch and, like, tracks her, you know, how right, much she's right, walking and all that. And, uh, calories burned. She had already walked four miles by the time she met up with us. And that was, at, like, at 1 p.m. So there's no telling how far she walked oh, with us. So we probably walked... I think we walked longer. Than that. Jennifer thinks that we walked like a half marathon. That was mm-hmm. her guess. So it would actually be much more like what twelve miles, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. we, maybe one time we have to do that where we count steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah we've talked about doing yeah, that. Before. Yeah, because that's the thing. Like, you know, it's kind of like a, uh, two sides of a coin here. In one sense, the normal Disneyland adventure, you know, or experience. You're standing in line for hours. That's it. Yeah. So all day long. So you, you you do like eight rides, but you've stand in line on an average from 45 minutes to an hour and a half of just marching forward. And, yeah. and standing's brutal. I think that beats you up. But then the way we do it, we're basically running from ride to ride to ride to ride. So it's like a you know power walk the whole way. Yeah, through. it was like perpetual motion. Right. So then it's yeah. like, well, then you're sore from walking so many miles. But so it's kind of like, you know, pick your poison. 
I just want to know how I did as the tour guide. You were fantastic. As your guys' tour you, for two you, days. You was were, it good? You were fantastic. <laughs> You're the facilitator always. Oh, they could have just put you in a plaid vest, and we wouldn't have uh, we wouldn't have known the She's difference. She's good at organizing all that stuff, right? Breakfast. Absolutely. Where we're all going to meet here. We're going to do this show, do that show. Yep. I, uh, and, and I completely agree. When we first agree. met, though, let's talk about how a relationship builds you into a better person's individually. I have no structure, you know fucking newsflash right like surprise <laughs> shocking but a little bit more now but when i met jennifer on the other side it was extremely structured you know like just like at 8 15 we're gonna be here at 8 30 and if something ever were to occur obviously you can't control every aspect you know someone's running behind mm-hmm. the kitchen took longer than we thought you know whatever the case may be it would completely throw her in shambles and be upset but now mm-hmm. she's learned how to have that structure but you now some flexibility which i think now jennifer like i don't know i'm so spoiled in that aspect that like when we do stuff she's like oh thanks for doing this i'm like i didn't do shit all i did was pay for it you know what i mean but like you've basically done all the hard work the phone call organizing everything yeah it was awesome so thanks you guys for uh taking us along again it was uh it was spectacular now travis you haven't got here. your half of the bill yet <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're yeah. thanking us now though. yeah so that's go ahead travis, travis you're yeah. coming on the next one don't worry yeah. I, now that's interesting you say that. Travis okay? has to go on the next one. Travis. Yeah, it'll be the Travis. It'll be a full blown phone booth fighting. Right? Yes. Travis. We won't take Kevin with us, and maybe someone's niece might not be able to go. <laughs> Travis confided something in me, though, before the show, because he asked me about how it was and all that. And, and what, what, go ahead, Travis. The floor is yours. No, I mean, I was kind of telling you guys the last time when uh, Frank was out of town and Mrs. Mayor was in here. I'm not a fan of it because uh, I don't like a lot of big crowds. And uh, about two hours in, about the fifth stroller that's hitting you in the back of the ankles, you know what I mean, and just standing there doing the shuffle for two hours, moving, moving. You know, it's a, it's not the, not the best experience. So I'm not a huge fan, but I, I'd be up for it, especially yeah. if it was a, it was a. The kids are happy. You're like, going to have a different experience doing this. Mm-hmm. Trust me, because I, I know what you're talking about, and I'm just telling you, we didn't. In fact, if if uh, uh, if someone that looked unclean even came close to touching us, the tour guide backhands them. <laughs> They're required to do that as part of their job. So, I mean, she's yeah, she's she, no, they're on Ronnie it. I mean, was very on it, yeah. Like I said, like I'll stop, and I and I have a pretty much like look. If you come up and you see me, uh, this is basically the general rule of life that I have. Look, if I'm on TV, I've benefited from that. You know, I get to afford to take my family to Disneyland because people are fans of mine and, and have bought my uh, fights and watch it and you know and participate. So I get to re- reap the rewards of that popularity how could you in turn be an asshole to someone that's a fan you know so i've never really ever ever have turned anybody down i think we've talked about this on more than one occasion but i still when i'm with my family i have about a 30 second window you know 45 seconds hey how's it going yeah great to meet you oh cool big fan if you want me to sign something take a picture but that all takes about 30 to 45 seconds if you really think about it the only time i ever start going like okay i gotta go is when the interview starts where it's like oh so hey man so what'd you think about this one time I'm like, you know, so then, you know, I had to have the wife or the tour guy like Ronnie or, you know, it was Amy in the past would jump in there and be like, all right, we got to go. Cause it's like, look, you know, I'm also paying to be here per hour. You know, I don't want to sit here and, you know, and, you know, indulge on a full blown interview. You know? right. Yeah. You, you'll have a good time, Travis. And, uh, uh, it, 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 I'll tell you one thing though, as the only, uh, uh, as not being a parent myself, it, I told you like it, it 
stressed me out when we first got in there because <laughs> I was trying to keep an eye on all of your kids. And some of them don't even need you to really keep an eye on them. I mean, Belle's 14, but 14, right? Yeah. yeah. But it's like, it was immediately like, oh my God, there's so many people. Wait, I can't see all the kids all in the same shot. Where is everybody? Wait, oh, there's one getting away. Hold on. Wait, they're getting too close. And it was like, you guys just have this instinct of sort of being able to know where they all are. Like if they got too far, you reeled them back in, but that really stressed me out. That's just something you build up over time, I guess, right? Yeah, just you... constant understanding of where things are going. But that's yeah. why, too, you'll see, um, if you go back to uh, Ronan's picture of us as a group. Yes. That's why, like, now here's the genius of being with my wife. Yes. Pull that back up. Go back again. Mm-hmm. Do you see the hat that Ronan's wearing? Oh, yeah. It's That's got, not by chance. Right. He's got the uh, easy purple and green mohawk hat on. crowd to look over and immediately go... Boom, there he is. Yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. Bell and Cage, now they're older, but she's always done that where we dress them in a way that sticks them out okay. of the crowd. Okay, So there's like a I little see. trick that yeah. you do with your children. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, <laughs> as funny as it sounds, you know, like the luggage, you, you wrap your luggage with like a little like bow tie on it so it looks different than <laughs> sure. everybody else's. Well, I mean, oh, there's listen. a... Don't think that my look isn't uh, by design for a similar reason, because once my Alzheimer's sets in, when Jennifer needs to find me, I will stand out from all the other octogenarians with this look. <laughs> Nobody else will have that. That's exactly my thinking. And with your vegan diet, you'll be there. That's right. Hey, so I, I, I got a question. Uh, April and I, my girlfriend, we have a, a group of friends that are, they're our age. None of them have kids. They go to Disneyland once a month. They live here, but they go, they go down there once a month. They're part of some dinner club or something. Oh, or yeah. Club 33. No, no, that's, it's euphemism for swingers. They call yeah. it. After a, the park it, closes. They, yeah. Dinner that's when it gets place. wild. Yeah, Club 33. Yeah. You can is be that part what of. that is? Yeah. yeah, so yeah. They, they tell me about we it all We thought about joining into kinda... it a couple of times because they, they have the open enrollment and stuff, and it takes a while. It you takes get... years to get on. We did the, the paperwork, but it takes years to get to get into that, to be a part yeah. of that. So, I mean, maybe yeah, there's like a, we'll there's get the Yeah, there's an area by Fantasyland. No, um... Pirates of Caribbean. Yeah, but isn't that no? That's not it's Fantasy right. Land. It's we went to Club, Adventureland. Yeah, we, we actually ate dinner in there. There's like a little area there by right in the New door. Orleans area that, mm-hmm. that, like you know, you knock on the door and they let you in and have dinner. And yeah, stuff. we did dinner there once before. They let yeah, us do I, dinner, but um, I have heard. Isn't that the only place on that serves alcohol? Yes, on inside the, whole, the club. Inside yeah, Disneyland, a, but yeah. inside of California Adventure, they serve alcohol. Oh, okay, yeah. all right, I got it. Well, anyway, we we had a fantastic time. That so I look forward to to doing that again. And Jennifer and I have spent the whole drive back trying to justify season passes. We've already got a whole rationale. If you're going to go more than a couple head- times, it yeah, makes sense right. to get a season pass. We've Honestly, already- bro. if you think you'll go the more, yeah. th- if you're going three times in a year, yeah. then it's dumb not to get a season pass. Yeah. Yeah. We always, we've always had season passes. And the only reason in the last couple of years is because we've been doing the cruises. Yeah. yeah. So we don't go, we only go twice a year. Well, the, uh, the family affair uh, continues here for a moment because we have a Justin Bieber issue oh, to yes. discuss. So is, is we get, uh, we got to get Bell in here. I don't know if you saw this, Frank. Justin Bieber made news this week. Uh, he, uh, he, you know, he... Uh, it's funny. I didn't think Bella brought this up. Let's get Bella in here. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know how uh, aware she was of this news. I but, don't think uh, she knows. Uh, that is, uh, it's a YouTube video. Go ahead and pull up, uh, Safari. Yeah. Uh, we'll find it. Uh, Justin Bieber had to cancel the remainder of his, uh, tour. Again? Uh, yes. He, uh, he had, uh, a handful of dates left and, and this guy 
is playing like uh, some big uh, so, some big stadium dates. I mean, one of them was at I think Cowboys Stadium in Arlington, and he canceled this. I've already got it pulled up. I think Travis, unless you closed it out, if you just want to scroll through the Safari windows, maybe. Um, keep going, keep going. Did I close out of it? Okay, maybe I did. Uh, just search. Uh, Search Justin Bieber shirtless pastor, <laughs> because that's uh, that's what prompted this uh, this uh, postponement, at least uh, according to a lot of folks. Okay, here she comes. Okay, all right, hold on. All right. So uh, there it is. Yep, meet the shirtless pastor helping Justin Bieber with his spirituality. Let's pull that. Out. Okay, here comes Bella. Hold on. Come on in. So we'll put you right there. All right, now here here comes uh, Frank and Jennifer's daughter, Bella. You, your microphone's right there. You just sat on it there. There you go. Okay, pull that up. All right. Now, uh, before you okay, before you roll this here, uh, Travis, pause that for a second. Okay. All right. Now, now, Bella, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, and you are. I was just saying this earlier. You are 14 now, right? Yeah. Okay. And uh, you're quite the star athlete. Uh, but you also enjoy you some Justin Bieber, right? Yeah. And you saw Justin Bieber live uh, just about a year ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, how long have you been a Justin Bieber fan? Oh, my God. Probably um, since I was like 11. Since you were 11. I mean, that's like a quarter of your life. I, I mean, know. that's, that's something. It's a hard relationship. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, uh, you know, the, it, it's, it, it is hard to love sometimes. Uh, uh, sometimes they make it hard. Uh, so Justin, uh, you guys have, have, uh, known each other since, since you were about 11 and you're a fan and then you saw him live. Now, did you hear the news this week that Justin Bieber had to cancel the remainder of his tour? Yeah, I heard that. Okay, I believe he's on the Purpose Tour. Is that yeah. right? The Purpose Tour. And so what happened was he had a handful of dates left. Some big shows. I mean, yeah. big stadiums and all this kind of stuff. And, of course, there's you know hundreds of people that work on this crew and all this kind of stuff. These guys are, are out of work and all that. And there's great speculation as to what caused this postponement. Now, do you have you heard anything about why he... Yes, I what, did, what have you I did heard? hear. So okay, what have you heard? He said that he wanted to take a break because uh, it was like so much like flying all over the world and he just like, it was like so much for him. Mm -hmm. But then I also agree with that because uh, a lot like the singing company, what company he works for, have lost a lot of singers because they were like so like compacted with all the traveling and like all the working. So mm, people, people, some, a lot of people are saying that that was a good choice. I heard he was also complaining about the Reebok uniform. Was that? I'm thinking of a. That I'm confusing stories. Uh, now, the, the, now, have you heard about the uh, the the rock star pastor that he's keeping company with these days? Uh -huh. Have you heard about this guy, Pastor Carl? Okay, mm -hmm. we're gonna get to him in a second. Now, uh, first of all, here's a little video from earlier this week of Justin Bieber running over a photographer. So let's play this. Uh, if you saw this, Frank, go ahead and hit play there. Oh, there he goes. Yep. Superstar was leaving a church yep. service in Beverly Hills Wednesday night. So he was night. leaving church. By paparazzi. How you been, my man? As he pulled off in his black truck, this happened. <laughs> the photographer's leg was hit, and he ended up on the ground. 
In the chaos, Bieber consoles the photographer. What can we do? So, so Justin Bieber is laying hands on the photographer after the church service. There he goes. Okay, now here in a second we're going to see Pastor Carl. Now, I guess the deal is is that Justin Bieber at various points of in his life has been uh, known as uh, a man of faith. Uh, which which uh, can't impress Frank too much, but uh, uh, we'll get to it here in a second. But he's hanging around this guy, Frank, Pastor Carl. And Pastor Carl is one of these guys that has, like, the mega church, you know. He's the rock star pastor, and there's this guy. Pause it. Pause it right here. Okay. This is Pastor Carl, the shirtless pastor. You have not seen this guy yet, Bella? No. Okay. The other guy, though, that the pho- the photographer that he ran over looked like Floyd Mayweather. He did a little bit. He did look like Floyd Mayweather. That's ironic because they're friends. But uh, how about Pastor Carl? I've Anyone? never seen this guy. Frank? Like, who is he? That's uh well he's the it's uh, Frank Frank's finding it hard to look at the uh, at the. I'm just trying to look it up. Figure yeah, it out. Yeah, it's, well, it um, just shows you that as much money as that uh, that Justin makes as entertainer that um you know that that. Uh, He's now delving into religion too, and Pastor, I'm sure, is going to you know try to use it as far as a marketing tool, and uh, his finances are going to grow to an even uh, larger extent. I mean, the amount of money the church makes is unreal. Not only uh, and doesn't have to pay taxes on it, right? Not only that's right, tax free. Not only is Pastor Carl shirtless, but those gym shorts, if they were pulled down any further, Inside Edition would get their yeah. YouTube account suspended. <laughs> Yeah, you're true. Look at that. That's right. I mean, and obviously he uh, he shaves his lower body, so you know. He, Good he, lord! You got a this shirtless guy. manscaping, completely shaven. Look at his chest, uh, uh, yeah. pastor. Right? Yeah. So is that, is that Jesus like? Did Jesus care about his uh, his look? Was he tatted? I mean, the tattoos, the the shaving. In the... fairness, uh, I don't believe there was laser hair removal during biblical uh, times, so I we can't know. fault him for that. And Jesus probably had a six pack more from the fact that he was always hungry and didn't yeah. you and Bella just have a conversation about shaving or not shaving yeah you know uh, maybe I'm getting kind of old but my whole thought of a guy kind of you know it, it kind of gets a little uh, what's the word we used to use metrosexual you yeah know? yeah I start questioning some uh, you know obviously there's proper hygiene and taking care of yourself yeah, yeah. but uh, you know sometimes when these guys get a little obsessive with a razor blade and shave off all the hair off their chest and stuff just I don't know just it's a little well, silly for me well Justin uh, has apparently uh, taken the counsel of this fellow now now Pastor Carl is denying that he advised Justin to cancel the tour because everybody's trying to blame Pastor Carl but uh, I guess he did tell him to sort of you know follow his faith and and maybe uh, Justin took that to mean that it was you know time to to get off the road. So uh, uh, so you not heard this part of the story then, Bella, about this fellow? Okay. No, I heard now this would be interesting because I'm thinking that uh, you know given uh, some of the uh, you know secular conversations that take place here in the mirror house. This would be interesting conversation between you and Justin if this were to ever come up. Like, if you guys were to meet, what would you be? He would be like, hey, you know, uh, let me introduce you to Pastor Carl here. Uh, this is uh, the guy that leads my church. 
Would you be like, well, now wait a second. Let me let me point out a few historical inaccuracies of your well, thought process here. I think that besides music, I don't think Bella and uh, Justin would have a whole lot in common. I mean, oh. his IQ, if you sit here and listen to him talk, he's not a very intelligent guy. But you know what I've been told, though, Frank, is that that's part of the affectation. Because I pointed out that he, in fact, I said this to you, Bella. I said, now his thing, he always looks uh, sort of bewildered as to where he is. He kind of does this a lot, like... Like, you know, where where am I? Why am I here? But you said, though, that that's like part of the, the vibe, right? Yeah, that's, it, like, that's like the look these days. Yeah, that's, it makes him seem mysterious. Yeah. Makes him it makes, seem... Like, it just makes all the girls think, like, oh, my God. It's like that's the smoldering sexy look now is the yeah. confused where the fuck am I look? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Learn something new. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, that, that's what he's up to. Okay, well, fortunately... I'm still on, among the era, and I'm sure you do the... Mm -hmm. the, the, the look for a man was supposed to try to look hard you know what i mean like mm, you know, yeah there's the machismo you know what i mean like masculine like you know yeah you know like the confident look not the bewildered well it, you know if if you go by if you go by my teenage experience the alpha male looked like a a, a drag queen kind of yes. you know so uh <laughs> yeah. i've always wondered that now we've had this discussion like yeah like that was the alpha there that you were looking up to. And, and getting all the girls was the rock star that wore just as much, if not more, makeup, long right. hair, and skin-tight leather pants. So right. I guess we all have our things that we don't want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, listen, I come from an era where you could wear your girlfriend's clothing. Like, sometimes you just traded. Uh, actually, to this like day. Like, twinning, that still goes on today. Like, you'll see, like, a couple, and they'll have, like, the same shirt, same jeans, same shoes. Like, that's well, like. Well, and oh, okay. also, too, what he's talking about is the, the rock music back then like the glamour rock their outfits i mean they'd wear shirts that were actually women's t-shirts yeah why well, great the, question the, so now you have a lot of instruction you can indulge into now yeah I yeah mean, this is definitely an off-air i mean a very extensive conversation we could have here yeah know. yeah it was just it was just a sign of the times you know you i mean even to this day jennifer and i have a uh, a pair of maroon pants that we fight over you know that we can't it, it looks too uh bizarre if we wear them at the same time um, well, anyway, fortunately, you got a chance to see Justin uh, Bella before uh, he had to uh, remove himself from the road. But uh, does he? What? Uh, what's the current hot Justin Bieber song? What's the What's the big hit? Um, Is well, it, right uh, now it's uh, I'm the only one. I'm sorry. Is it that one? <laughs> well, that was in his uh, purpose. Tour, it was yeah. his purpose album, but now he had a couple Is songs. Is it uh, Keep It to the Company? No, that was Maybe no, we could be company. It's I'm the only one to you and Despacito right now. Oh, I don't know that one. There are right. his new ones that just came out. Okay. All right. Well, I thought we'd bring you in as our. Will you do us a favor, though? Will you keep us updated on. If you hear any news on the street, will you come in and <laughs> keep us posted on what's going on with this situation? Because it looks a little cultish. Yeah. I'm a little concerned about the influence of Pastor Carl. I mean, he, he looks ripped from the neck down, but from the neck up, he looks a little David Koresh. So I'm a little concerned. <laughs> a little concerned. All right. Very good. Well, what do you say we put a wrap on this one, Frank? We've cool. got some other things to get into, but I think we better save it for the second episode of this week because we've gone very long tonight. Yeah, that works. We had a lot of fights to talk about. We had Disneyland to break down, and uh, so we'll get into some other yeah, we didn't things. We're political on. stuff. How Trump is able to throw. That's a whole nother show. That's because we've had a new character introduced, Anthony Scaramucci. Yes, this guy's going to be a lot of fun for the new season of uh, as the White House. And turns. Trump is pulling the old trick of. Uh, 
or if I'm in trouble, like, well, we're going to go ahead and talk about gays or find out some other very divisive subject that That's right. like, distract uh, everybody instead of just looking at you. Like shaking a keychain in the uh, direction of a well, baby old, that's like, uh, sitting in its own what's store over there? to distract you know? them. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll do that on the next episode of Phone Booth Fighting. All right. We do want to uh, remind everybody, once again, phoneboothfighting.com, your one-stop shop for all official phone booth fighting merchandise, the T-shirts, the posters, uh, all available there. The Amazon banner, we told you about that. Please click through that to do your Amazon shopping. All of our previously aired and archived episodes are available absolutely free at phoneboothfighting.com. Our social media contacts are there as well. Myself, I'm on Facebook at Official Richard Hunter. Twitter and Instagram is at Richard Hunter. He is on Facebook at Official Frank Mir. And Twitter and Instagram is is at the Frank Mirror. And Frank, we also have a presence for our collective show known as Phone Booth Fighting across all the social media platforms as well. And you can find that on Phone Booth Fighting on Facebook and Instagram. And if you just go on Phone Booth Fight, you can find that with Snapchat and Twitter. Uh, for Frank Mirror, really the, the with a special assist from most members of the Mirror family on this one. It's a Mirror uh, It really was. And uh, Travis, of course, doing a very capable job as always producing. I'm Richard Hunter, and we'll see you right back here next time. On- Everybody was Kung Fu.